Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to Matthew Fawn's Kingsman, The Golden Circle, the sequel, of course, to Kingsman, The Secret Service. And joining me to talk about its highs, its lows, its goodbyes and its fair smattering of controversial moments are our very own Merlin, James Dyer. Hello. It's because you're bald. Thanks. <laughs> you're good with gadgets. I would I would uh, respond in a Scottish accent, but I think that would just end badly for all no, of us. No, go on. Go for it. That was fucking spectacular. It was fucking spectacular, that was. was, that, was Jesus, that, Jesus Christ. Christ. That was all right. That was, was okay. okay. Yeah. That was, that was knee Thanks. bad. Knee bad. Uh, also joining us, our very own Lancelot. She's full of daring do and wears glasses. It's Helen O'Hara. Uh, hello. Uh, I want to get into spoilers immediately with that nickname, but we'll we'll leave it for a couple of minutes. Uh, we're going to leave it. We're going to leave okay, it. We're going, yeah. to, we're going to let the spoilers uh, run later on. And of course, wouldn't be complete without our very own Arthur, the head of this organisation, Terry White. Chris Hewitt. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Good, good, good. Very, very excited to hear all our different viewpoints in this film over the next <laughs> hour or so. Um, so, uh, as usual, this is a spoiler special. So if you have not seen Kingsman, The Golden Circle, then highly to your nearest multiplex, watch the movie, and then come back and listen to this. Otherwise, what is the point? Have they gone? I think so. They've gone. All right. But before you hear from us, you're going to hear from the film's director, Matthew Vaughn. Uh, he came into the pod booth not once, but twice. Uh, once before the film's release, and once again this week after the film's release, uh, and after it's, I fair to say, for the most part, a bit of a critical mauling. And uh, he was very open and honest about that and about many plot aspects. And yes, lat shot. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and what you're going to hear is a slightly edited version of those two conversations because we talked for a long time. This one's going to be clocking in at around 75 minutes. Um, and because it took place a week apart, thereabouts, there might be some slight repetition of information, but hopefully not too much. We're going to try and keep that to a minimum. So here it is, Matthew Fawn talking to me in great detail about Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Enjoy. Uh, delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast for this very, very special spoiler special for Kingsman, The Golden Circle. By the director, Matthew Fawn. How are you, sir? Um, <laughs> the truth would <laughs> well, be good. Truth is, I'm sort of hobble on Cassidy right now, but apart <laughs> from that, I'm very good. But very stylish in a, in a Kingsman boot. Well, which I'm, you know, one can only try. <laughs> which I imagine you had made bespoke for you, or is this available for, for people to buy? If I, if I were to break my leg today, could I wear a Kingsman boot? Well, you can buy an UGG, like uh, I think they're called UGGs, and, uh, and then just slap a Kingsman sticker on it, which is all I've done. So, yes, it's that simple. It's that simple. It's that simple. Amazing. Yeah. Um, in fact, let's that's, that's, that's start, because uh, this is quite a forensic look at the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's start with the start, because you really get into it right away yes. uh, with this incredible taxi chase, mm-hmm. come fight scene inside the taxi uh, right from the beginning. Uh, where did that idea come from? I and mean, obviously, you want to start with a bang. Yeah, I was. Um... The whole idea of approaching a sequel was terrifying. You know, just the whole concept of it. And um, the first decision I had to make is, is it going to be a continuation? Or is it going to be, you know, is this a genre of of the franchise? Is this a franchise? Hopefully it's a franchise. We'll find out in a couple of days. Or we did just find out. And um, um, is it one of those interchangeable franchises where, you know, the same characters just go on a new adventure and there's no reference to prior movies 
or is this going to be part of a, what I call a continuation of a story and the continuation of arcs of the characters? And um, I, I, I looked at my favorite sequels, which were sort of a tie between Godfather 2 and Empire Strikes Back. And uh, I thought, nah, they, they were like bridges to get to a third. Um, not necessarily the third, but didn't yeah. quite as good, but yeah. it did take you there. Um, and, um, and so I thought, we just let's start, let's start the movie instead of, I thought it'd be really fun that, that we just, we just, you know, I, we, I said, let's go from, let's start in fifth gear instead of first and see what happens. And, uh, uh, it was, um. The studio were like, hold on, I'm not sure about this. People are going to be confused. And, and I was like, you know what? If you like the first film, I have to make a movie for them. And, of course, the studio would want me to try and broaden the audience. But I was like, the more we try to broaden the audience, I think we'll end up having less of an audience called to, because the people who love it, which is a, enough people. If, the, you know, if we do the same box office, we're still in profit and yeah. everything's great. So therefore, I want to make sure my the core fans are happy, mm-hmm. and if we they can bring people along, great. But what I didn't want to do is have new people who are just totally dumbfounded by the whole thing, and people who did love it feeling getting bored, being explained stuff that they really knew. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, uh, one, one of the interesting things about the uh, the beginning uh, is, as you say, the, re- the return of uh, of Charlie mm. uh, with his robot hand. So, we, so you obviously decided it was going to be very much a continuation. You were going to bring back some characters in the first movie. That was a given. Exy yes. and Merlin were a given, I, I guess. But uh, did, did, did you think about Long and Hard about bringing Charlie back? Were there other characters? Who, not many people um, left at the end of the first movie, in fairness. Yeah, no, I, the reason Charlie came back was I sort of, there was a history between Exy and Charlie. And I thought, well, I've got, I've got, I've got that there. It means I don't have to spend all this time. The, I mean, the fun thing about sequels is you don't have to spend as much time with setup, and mm. and I could just start the story. You know, if you've seen the first one, you think, well, these two people they hate each other, and yeah, they're fighting. <laughs> That's and I, we know why because if it were two strangers fighting at the beginning, it'd been you know, I, I, if it if it was a character that we didn't know and Eggsy didn't know, yeah. that cab fight wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would still look cool, but you wouldn't be as emotionally invested. So that's um, that's one of the reasons I made it, Charlie. And I actually love Ed. Ed's a sweet guy, mm. and um, and and I thought it'd be fun to, to play around with Ed, tell him to bulk up and shave his head, and um, um, so yeah, it's um, so Charlie was uh, he became the villain. Uh, what, what's what's interesting? We'll skip right ahead to the end. Actually, yeah. now is uh, when Eggsy and Charlie have their final confrontation. Mm-hmm. How brutal Eggsy's dispatch of him is. Well, exactly. Well, that's, that's exactly my point. Yeah. Because I think he deserved a brutal death at that point because this guy was part of his club, became friends with some of the people they were in. They were, you know, didn't make it. Then became part of the Valentine's world and was mm-hmm. quite happily to watch innocent people die. Yeah. And then joined a new villain, and with the new villain killed <laughs> everybody, Kingsman yeah. and everybody. Yeah, killed Roxy, killed his dog, um, and continue, and then tried to kill him again. So, yeah. um, and was still a horrible snob. So, in the end, you're like, <laughs> you deserve the death. It's not a moment of oh, poor, 
poor Charlie. It's like, yeah, you know what? Good on you, Eggsy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a film of uh, fairly definitive deaths. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, Keith Allen if at the I, beginning. If I know what that is, <laughs> we're gonna have a talking hamburger in the next film. So. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So you kill Keith Keith Allen. That's mm-hmm. that's fairly definitive. He ain't coming back from that. Yeah. Um, and you kill Merlin, ultimately, yes. as well. Yeah. Now I know that that was a source of great contention for you. That you went back and forth on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that and, and the decision to ultimately come down where you did? We shot other endings where he was alive and they were very funny, uh-huh. really funny. But it cheapened his death yeah. and it felt like we were conning the audience to go on that emotional journey and then to go, ha ha, he didn't really die, he's all right. And it was wrong and it really upsets me that the idea of um of mark and merlin not being around um but in kingsman who knows the rules are always there to be broken <laughs> um but um mark is you know he's such a, a a great actor but merlin he turned merlin into a really um he was like the glue that keeps it all together you yeah. know and um and merlin and mark in this are brilliant at grounding these crazy scenes being yeah. that that guy that that he's an, an he's quite an anchor amongst all all of it for the first two films so i'm very very if we get to do a third one i am wary because i do think mark is the he, he literally keeps the boat you know, not rocking all over the place so it's it's um 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 <laughs> I haven't quite got over the decision yet. Let's put it that way. You think about backtracking, maybe yeah. is, is what you're doing. Uh, well, twin I've, brother, yes. Twin well, brother, clone. God knows. God knows. <laughs> you never know. You never yeah. know. Well, well, why did you uh, decide to kill Merlin in the first place? Because did you want to? You, obviously, want you wanted to the stakes him. to be important. I, well, we had another character that died mm-hmm. um, that didn't make it into the film. Well, it didn't even make it into filming. It was in the script. Okay. Actually, no, no, Merlin did die later anyway, actually, thinking about it. So um, I, um, it's a bit of a cliche or such an obvious instrument, but you do need loss to then care about the gains and the survival of the other characters and to give them more of a motivation to win. And I think Merlin's death just propels you through the last action sequences. You're like, God, Merlin's dead now. Just go get your revenge. So I, that's... You know, I've, I've used the trick a few times before, but lots of movies do. <laughs> but it's interesting when it doesn't work because I remember in Independence Day two, yeah, which you know wasn't only a masterpiece. I mean, and I say that with due respect because I know how hard it is to make a movie. But there were a few scenes where characters died and the other characters, were like, oh, they're crying and holding on. But I was like, I don't know who you are, yeah. So I'm not feeling anything right now. So you have if you have to earn the death by liking the person who's dying. Otherwise, it's it's just it's just a but a moment. But the death also has to have some impact on not just the characters, but the story yes, as well. I find exactly. because in Independence Day too, Bill Pullman makes a huge sacrifice play as the ex-president, mm. and he flies his spaceship into the alien queen. Yes, and nothing happens as a result of it. And I just thought, well, what's the point of that? So you need something. So Merlin's death does give some motivation. Also happens to take out a bunch of Poppy's henchmen and gives Mark oh, Strong... trying to ripping off... Was it Randy Quaid did it in the first one? Yeah, but, precisely. But had, had an effect. Had an impact, absolutely. Yeah. But Mark, it gives Mark Strong an amazing, an amazing out. Um, did you know he death. had a good... It's a good death scene. It's a yeah. cracking death scene. Yeah, I have to say I'm proud of that one because on paper, I was like, oh my 
God, am I going to pull this one off? And even on set, Mark was looking at me going, are you sure? I was like, beauty about filmmaking you try it and if it's terrible you cut it out or you reshoot it but um i'm proud of his death he's proud of his death and he's sort of he's you think we've got a problem with him dying trust yeah. me mark ain't happy about it but he's now come to terms that it was the right decision for the film and uh did you know he had a good singing voice i still don't know if he's got a good singing <laughs> voice. <laughs> he can hold the tune that's all right he was helped Oh, really? Yeah, bit, bit of auto-tune? Bit of auto-tune. Fucking hell. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, it's been an interesting year for John Denver. Were you watching movies like yeah. Alien Covenant and Free Fire? I have no idea what is going on out there. But when I picked Country Roads in the script yeah. ages and ages ago, I was like, yeah, this is a song that people won't really know anymore and they've forgotten about and there'll be like a guilty pleasure coming back. And there's other movies. It's not just uh, Mark Strong's like, oh my, he just saw um, there's two other movies using John Denver at the moment. There's four films out there. So I'm like, oh, no, what the hell? It's weird. <laughs> but there is a, I think that sums up humanity at the moment. There's this weird connection that we're all having and, you know, good idea. Everyone seems to have it at the same time now. And it's about, it's quite a pressure because you've got to be trying to be the first out of the gate. I'm looking, uh, I'm going to look like we just, I copied all these guys and picked John Denver. But when I yeah. picked De Denver, you know, no one was using John Denver. And it's, it is, his estate must be high-fiving. <laughs> um, anyway. I know. But it's it's part of the fabric of the film. It's part of the fabric of the score yes. as well. It, the, the movie uh, begins yeah. with that. Exactly. It was, it was a big, that's why I'm, I fell off my chair when I started seeing these other films. You know what? It is what it is. So it's, uh, so he's, he's a very talented songwriter, so it's not surprising a lot of people are using him. So talking about the, uh, the idea of, uh, of stakes and impact and deaths lasting brings us neatly on to Harry Hart. And I know that you wanted to bring Harry back. Uh, almost in a way, if you look back at the first Kingsman, you don't really see, there's not a close-up of Harry's body. So it almost feels like even in the first Kingsman, you were kind of hedging your bets a little bit with Harry. Is, is, that, is that the case? Were you thinking about from the off? What, have I done the right thing here? Do I, do I want to keep him on the board? No, honestly, No. I never imagined Colin coming back okay. when, we, when we made the film. And when I started thinking about doing the sequel, it sort of felt like I was George Martin and I was like, okay, let's keep the Beatles going without McCartney. Because mm. I think Taron is, is Lennon and he's McCartney and it was just, it's just not the same. There was a magic between these, you know, Kingsman, Colin is Kingsman, mm. Taron is Kingsman, Mark is king. So I am, I'm, you know, you know, Mark is Ringo Starr. So and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm slightly nervous. I'm really, really, really am nervous about losing Mark. But I've got some great new additions. So, um, but it, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, the band is um, the band wasn't ready to be split up. Let's put it that way. And there's no way we could have done a good second album without the right band. So, uh, at what point did you and Jane come up with Alpha Gel, and how many different iterations of? Well, you'll. This is the funny thing, right? So, yeah, Alpha Gel, right? Yeah. When I was plotting that scene out, so what happens a lot of times? I just write a rough, really rough scene and send it to Jane, saying, "What do you think?" And and um, and so I wrote, uh, so Alpha. I said called Alpha. I said Alpha Gel because I couldn't be bothered to come up with a name. <laughs> I went Alpha Gel. Alpha, you know, A, Alpha, you know, 
Alpha Gel will, and, and Jane and I will then come up with a better, uh, you know, a better name. And then it turns out it's real. <laughs> they called, uh, look it up. It's like, we, was, we were like, holy moly. And there's all the stuff about alpha waves uh-huh. and the brains. And there's no alpha gel, but all the, 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 the whole neurology is all, there's a whole basis. And it starts off with al- everything's alpha this, alpha that. Okay. <laughs> so, and I saw that. It weirdly gave me the confidence saying, this is obviously meant to be. Because the, fl- I mean, it's weird. Yeah. Look it up. I can't mean. I was really, really surprised, and it gave me the confidence. Going well, there you go. If I'm plucking a name out of something, I can't be bothered, and it's the correct term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you go through any any different iterations of bringing Harry back? Was there anything else that you had explored, or was it no, Alpha Gel from the off? It was. It was. It was. I just loved the idea of continuing that scene, just going up, helicopter coming down. The fact they're all in Kentucky. It just felt felt it it sort of weirdly does you know, it feels like it was intended okay i think you may say yeah. you know what that was a crock of shit but, <laughs> um but i also I, I i sort of made the decision that even if people didn't like the reason yeah. i think getting colin back makes a bit of pill very easy to swallow like bobby ewing like if you're yeah. a dallas fan and when he came out when it came out of the shower and pam ewing was actually having a dream yeah you're like that is horse shit but I've got him back. Who cares? Carry yeah. on. I think the reason is is largely secondary. I, yeah. I love the fact that something is as as mm. silly in a way as a yeah. gel that you could put around someone's head and it yeah. restores their their brain function. I love that. But it's, it's Kingsman, though. That's, yeah. you know anything can happen. Yeah, but as so. you say, uh, alpha. You, you don't have alpha gel that that can restore someone whose body parts have been scattered to the four winds, no. or do you? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, and you can't. Uh, no, and, it's beta gel. And Merlin needs some desperately. <laughs> take, two, take two of these yes. twice a day for yeah. the next four weeks. You'll be fine. Gonna, right as rain. Bathe in beta gel. <laughs> yeah, precisely. But you've got, the, you've got this idea of alpha gel that runs through the movie. And so it suddenly makes things interesting. So when Harry shoots uh, Agent Whiskey in yeah. the head in the, yeah. in the cabin, yeah. you know you have that in reserve. Yeah, um, exactly. And... Uh, uh, and Whiskey's a really interesting character. He's introduced quite late in the day, and his his motivations are very interesting. Yeah. At what point? He, effectively, he is the film film's true bad guy. No. But at the same time, he's also no, he's okay. not a bad guy. Okay. He's it's he's a he's a good guy with strong political views, uh-huh. and he um, sort of somewhat like like like. Uh, Arthur in in the first film, um, you know Michael Caine, mm. he actually agreed with the villain's plot. Yes, um, but in this film, I'm trying to remember what was in the final cut. But yeah, <laughs> um, Agent Whiskey had a had a personal tra- trauma due to drug use. You know, people junkies being out of their heads and killing mm. his wife. That did make the film, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, yes. And secondly. If drugs are legalized, the alcohol business has got some serious competition. He had two reasons to think I'll let Poppy win. So was he was he going to kill was he going to kill Harry and Exy no, in the cabin? He didn't know. No no, 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 he wasn't going to kill them. I don't think he was going to kill them, but he was going to allow. You know, he you know he purposely broke the vial, mm-hmm. and therefore, I remember Colin was still a bit. Whiffy woo, let's yeah. call it. And he was um, so Colin had noticed that wasn't an accident. Yeah. Saw these guys coming, 
And he, yeah, Colin's probably overreacted a tad. Um, <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. Yeah, but he did... He he read something was going on, that uh-huh. the guy wasn't on their side. Yeah. And when you've got a million bullets coming, <laughs> hurtling around, and a guy with a gun, um, he he probably... He did overreact, but he, he read it. He was right. But I don't think Whiskey wanted to kill them, but he would have killed them to make sure Poppy succeeded. And that's why in the end he was like, okay, guys, let's just... Don't give them the case. Let's just we'll, we'll hang around, let everything going, and then we can get on with our lives. Yeah, yeah. I know that you uh, you you said to me in the past that the the thing that really galvanized this movie for you was Poppy's plot. That you didn't really mm. have a plot until one day, just like the way Paul McCartney woke up with yesterday in his head. Yes, you uh, yeah. you woke up with this. Yeah, I it was I was God knows what my mind really is in the sense that when you sit there going, hmm, I wanted to. Uh, Bring down the world, or you know, you know, bad plots, meaning as in you know, horrible plots for people. Um, and I was thinking, okay, so um, if I wanted to poison the world, how would I poison? You know, because you go into the water supply, but that's checked all the time. I said, well, you're going to have to go to a, somewhere where nothing's regulated. Right? Drugs. It's all there. There's a whole network. If you poison the drugs, you could cause a lot of problems very, very quickly. Yeah. And then I went, oh, this is quite interesting, and prohibition, and drugs, and the drug business, and then the got you know the golden circles. We cut this out because no one knew what the golden triangle was, which astonished me <laughs> because it was meant to be that she used to run the golden triangle, and then she took over the world and turned into a golden circle. Okay. And um, and I just thought it was an interesting sort of zeitgeisty moment of you know talking about why are drugs illegal, is prohibition really working? And I'm not saying drugs should be legalized, but I do think a proper debate needs to be had. And uh, it's interesting as well. That I, I had no idea that uh, Emily Watson was in the film uh, and Bruce Greenwood as a yes. president. Uh, Good actors. A, they're fantastic. Fantastic actors. Was that, were, were they late additions or was that something that you always had? You had this idea of the president and uh, and that, that debate happening within the film itself. The weirdest thing is I was debating offering the president to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> You're and kidding I, me. When we designed the Oval Office as if Trump was president. So we wow. made it gold, we made it sort of like a Trump Tower. And this was before he, you know, this was way before he even ran for being president. So when we shot that. Jeez. So it was it was a bit odd, you know. It was one of those things I thought I better stop <laughs> What the hell? Having some crazy ideas that they see. Yeah, so the, the Trump and my production designer who's American was laughing, going, oh, God, can you imagine if Trump was... All this stuff about Trump. And then there was a moment when we are like, oh, God, this actually might... He might be running for president. So it was it was a, a really odd experience for us of life imitating art and art imitating life. It Jesus. Was, it, was, it was really, really was bizarre. I was yeah. literally about to offer the role to Trump. You didn't quite go there, though. So you started running before you really got to the point where you, you were going to offer him. I... Weirdly, because of Elton being in the movie, I thought it'd be too gimmicky. Okay, but I yeah. did. I, I thought it wouldn't be interesting because I think you know, I just thought he'd he'd be in a really interesting in the movie having him as president. Yeah. the way he handles the drug crisis in the film, I, I thought God, this would be really interesting having Trump and but as a personality, not as a politician at that point. Yeah, of course. So yeah, wow. It's difficult to see uh, presidents and most bad guys in movies these days without thinking about Donald Trump. Uh, they all seem to have something Trumpian about them. And uh, I thought this was a really interesting precedent. Having Bruce Greenwood 
I think moves him a little bit away from that that Donald Trump archetype because he's so mm. smooth and suave. Mm. But there's certainly yeah. his yeah. politics are Trumpian. Yeah, you had to really believe the president, and I just thought if he went too fun with it, and and it had to be again grounded. And um, Bruce played it like a, a few, not he wasn't playing it as Trump. He was just playing it as we discussed. Um, some of the uh, the governors and whatever senators from some of these southern states, they really think that way. He was playing. He was playing into the truth of that. You mentioned Elton. He's a genius. <laughs> he really is. He was a pleasure to work with. He's a very serious man and doesn't take himself seriously, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the most admirable traits a person can have. And I offered him to be in the first film. Okay. And he turned it down. Mm-hmm. So when I rang out saying, look, can I have another an, an, another attempt of trying to persuade you to do a film? He was so sweet. He went, I made the biggest mistake turning down the first one. I'm in. Where do you want me to be? I'll turn up and I'll do whatever you ask. And he did. And he was on time. He knew everybody's name on the set. He was funny. He was gracious. He was brilliant at acting. He... Played the piano for us during takes, saying what songs. Any, you know, Christ, like having the Elton John jukebox, and that's the piano, isn't it? That's the piano. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, it was a real, real pleasure. One of my career highlights filming with him. What surprised me about about Elton in the film is a he's brilliant. Everything he does is is pretty much hysterical. But his timing, his timing's great. But you it's, gave him so much to do as well. Were you yeah. nervous about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very nervous. I thought this could really, really um, go wrong. But I mean, coming back to John Denver, when I, I discovered John Denver through the Muppets, right? Okay. And there was a great scene that we cut between Halle Berry and Mark Strong. There's a whole love st- stuff between them. Okay, yeah, yeah. And we cut that out. And one of the one of the, their first scenes is she's listening to Country Roads, and Mark goes, "Oh, it's my favorite song." And and he goes, how did you learn about Country Roads? He goes, actually, I, 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 you know, saw John Denver on The Muppets and, and I loved Beaker. And she's like, oh, I, I, I like Doctor something. I can't remember who it is now. Yeah. And he's like, who's that? And he goes, that's Beaker's boss. So he keeps playing. And they go into this whole science versus music. And, and then they start talking about Elton John as well. And Elton John was always on The Muppets. And, and that's how I actually discovered John Denver and, and Elton John in the real world and uh, watching The Muppets. And he wore that feather costume in The Muppets. <laughs> and so my first ever image of Elton John was dressed like that, playing the piano, singing to Kermit. <laughs> and the fact he did that with such a plomb and was so natural, I thought, I, I, you know, I thought, you know, he's not, he's, he's one of the greatest performers. He performs when he's on stage. And yeah. I knew he could do it. I was just worried in that it must have been quite intimidating to then be doing it opposite Julianne Moore and Colin Firth. And what was great about him is the first day of filming, he comes out in the uh, chicken suit. And the, everyone's looking, everyone's in awe. And he just stared at all these guys and goes, yeah, don't worry, I know I look like a complete cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we all laughed and it put everybody at ease and we got on with it. And um, then I, when we were shooting that day, I was like, hold on, I think I've come up with a gag. And then the backstage pass gag. Yeah. I was just like, oh, hold on, I've got something here. And, you know, wrote it. I mean, do you mind doing this? And I thought, oh, Christ. And now he's learned the scene, a different scene. And he looked at me. I looked at him. I was like, and I could tell. He's like, well, hold on. I haven't learned this. And he's 
really, he's very professional. And we ran the lines a few times. He goes, God, this is funny. I'll make this work. Okay, let's go for it. And okay. he went for it. That's so, amazing. Yeah. No, it's cool. It was like really having a proper actor. There's a there's an amazing moment. Uh, there's there's two really amazing Elton moments that I love. There's the um, the moment where Poppy lays out the plan and what exactly the the, the drug does, yeah. and Elton's hilarious now because he's what barking. What the fuck have you done, bitch? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's amazing. Second what was thing, amazing is the extra the, the doctor going. Even that, he was just like, oh my, he's in a cage with Elton <laughs> screaming, <laughs> and I was like going bigger. Elton, that's you know, show me how mad you can be, and he's like, and he's like, yeah, that's great. Uh, second one is uh, Elton John doing a high kick whilst yeah. looking at the camera. Yes. Why did you break the fourth wall with that? Because if I didn't, it would have been silly. You yeah. had to. It's one of the, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You're at shooting it. I don't know. It's like eight hundred frames, and you know, and it was just. I, I it's. If I, you know, you're the first person who's asked me that. I don't really? know if anyone's noticing that, but it's for me. I remember saying to him, "Right, we're going boom, boom," and I need to, to go, a little grin and come back. And he did it perfectly. That was first take. And I don't know why. Is my my instinct was like, I've, "You've got to have a wink at that moment because if if you don't, it's so over the top." And so we have to something. There's sometimes you have to break the rules to make the. The rules work, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, look, maybe some, I don't, I don't know, but I, but I think, it, I weirdly, think of, I didn't realize I'd broken the fourth wall until you pointed it out. Really? Um, okay. So it just felt like the right thing to do. That well, I just think, any I, sense. one movie that you keep referencing with the, the Kingsman movies is Trading Places. And Trading Places is one of the great break the fourth wall moments when Eddie Murphy just turns and looks at the camera and goes, What the fuck are these guys doing, essentially? You know, yeah, with just one look. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fine. You've established it. It's okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I remember that. He raised the eyebrow like, and then carries on. So, okay, fair enough. Looking good, Elton. <laughs> um, Feeling good. <laughs> so, uh, just a few last things to uh, to chat about. You, one, you mentioned the the, the emotional arcs of this movie, uh, mm. and I really love that 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 speech that Harry has on the plane on the way over to uh, Poppyland, where he talks about regrets. Yes. And he talks about not really having had a, an inner life, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, does that indicate where you might go with Harry? I mean, 100%. yeah. He, he, that I said, this is really setting up a whole a whole third act. Let's call it the trilogy if we get there. And that's one of the things that you, Harry Hart's going to definitely go on a whole new journey that he's never been on before. With Elton or with <laughs> someone else? <laughs> Maybe he just gave me a really wicked idea. <laughs> We look forward to the developments, uh, but uh, but that is certainly something that you definitely play on throughout the throughout the film. You have this idea that Eggsy is you know in a relationship yeah. with Princess Tildy, which I think would surprise some people, as as you know, the the joke at the end of the first Kingsman rubbed some people up the wrong way. Was that your was that your reaction to that, or was did you want to double down on that in a way? Well. Maybe it was a bit naive of me. To, I was genuinely astonished at some of the backlash. I mean, I mean, it's a joke. It was a real comment on the fact that there were a lot of very misogynist sexual innuendos at the end of a lot of Bond movies yep. that no one seemed to be offended by. Uh, nobody seemed to bother them that Bond would screw X amount of women and then leave. So, um, 
it was sort of and and you know and it was a female saying it you know it, it was it was it was we were i mean jay and i really debated it and we thought yeah. actually it was a it was sort of a it was a comment of look how ridiculous these are and yeah, yeah, now yeah. i have a woman taking it to the next level and she's in control she said it she it's not it, if i think if taryn had gone hey if i save the world <laughs> can i do this yeah you go that's offensive but look no one's right or wrong when it comes to this. It's an opinion. I can, and I respect people for having a problem with it. But the my 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 aim is to make a film that uh, look. If people don't like it, I respect that. If they do like it, I respect it. But I'd rather if someone loves my movies or hates them than everyone just coming out and not remembering anything and move and, and you know at least they're debating it. Uh, in this film, I really wanted to explore a spy's life, and I love the fact that he could have a relationship with Tildy because Tildy knows he's a spy. So he can be himself, that he can discuss his bad day at work, and therefore giving her up is very, very difficult because he can never, ever, ever replace her. So in this movie, and I know there's, you know, I've done another shot in this film, which is also divisive. I think your editor at large is, uh, found it quite offensive. And it's fine. I, I, I did it to be provocative. I can't yeah. say I can't stop myself. Yeah. And I think people... I think what people want from Kingsman is us doing things that other movies don't do. Um, so, uh -huh. you know, you can. there are a lot of other safer spy movies you can go see. And I think people will be let down if I don't push the boundaries. So um, if I offend people, I apologize, but you don't have to buy a ticket. And hopefully there's a lot of other stuff that you won't be finding offensive and you'll enjoy. But I'm, I'm genuinely I'm not trying to shock people. Yeah. I'm just trying to entertain people. And most of the audience on the new uh, a Vaughn moment, let's call it. Uh, most people are laughing their asses off. And again, by the way, it is a piss take of. I mean, I actually tempted up to Mission Impossible music, you know, dun 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 da da da, and I was laughing so hard. I went, "Well, I can't really do that." We're going. You but, know what? It's, yeah, it's it's so it's it's me, and I I I, I am what I am, and I'm, some people seem to like it, and a lot of people seem to not like it, but it's <laughs> it's um. It's, that's me. I, I've got to always be honest to myself as a filmmaker. Of course. And there'll be a moment, I'm sure, people will say it's time to retire, and <laughs> and I'll retire. It, it felt to me that that shot. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it uh, a couple of times now. So I saw it once with an audience, and I don't think I've heard a reaction like that to a shot for a long time. Yeah. There was uh, lots of laughter. There was shock. Yeah. There was disbelief. And somehow they came together. I think it's it's interesting. You're definitely going to get a reaction from yes. that shot. And it's the and it's the part of the movie that needs a little bit of a little bit of an adrenaline moment to wake everyone up. So, but that's good though. But that's what you want from art. Yeah. You want to be ooh. Okay. You know, otherwise, you just sit there munching your popcorn, going, "Okay, second act. Oh, third act's coming. They're all going to fight. Yeah, the good guy's going to win. Mm. Okay. Oh, big loud music. Let's go." I don't know. Maybe I'm, I want to be. I mean, yeah. I've just. I'm catching up on all my movies now because you know, I have a rule when I when I make a movie, I don't watch modern films. I yeah. watch old films. Okay. And because um, old films remind me of what I love about film, and modern movies I get competitive with or freaked out by that I hadn't had that idea, and then I'm in the middle of trying to make a movie, so I just thought it was best not to <laughs> not to watch other people's movies and. It's been an extraordinarily weird summer because now I'm I'm caught up with most of them and uh, e how I think bland and disappointing most of the movies are, 
sadly, I'm sorry to say that I don't like being rude about films, but I was um, I was really really disappointed by a lot of films, and then but then there was some I liked. I really liked. I, I did like um, I like Guardians. Watch yeah, that. I did. And but Guardians had they they dialed up. They done it similarly. I was like, oh my god, they've done like what we did. They dialed up a lot of the emotional elements. Um, He's talented, old James Gunn. He's fantastic. They also have a. They also had a a, a gag. The opening of Guardians Two is uh, something happens in the foreground while the an action scene yes. happens in the background, which of course is what happens in the, in the log cabin. So we're yes. watching that going fuck. Yeah, because if I was watching that during making it, I would have gone back and reshot it. <laughs> so, it's a great moment, though. Yeah, it was well done in both movies. No, I'm talking about them as well done, not me. Like, Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. So, so just to go back very, very quickly, because we've got, we've got to wrap up in a second. Uh, just to go back very quickly to Le Shot that we were talking about. Uh, where did the idea for that come from? Because that really does push the envelope, as, as you say. No, so that shot, the, the, my DP didn't understand. So we didn't have the right, the right equipment. And then he kept getting stuff in. I was going, no, that's not what I want. No. And he's like, what are you trying to do? I said, I want this to look like the equivalent of... Um, I kept saying, like, like it's a helicopter flying through the Grand Canyon. And it's just epic, epic scale. And he's like, I don't understand what the hell you're doing. I said, I know, get a boroscope lens. Just get, I think that's what they're called. And he's like, and then what? And I said, we're going to put it on there, and we're going to boom. And, so, and then we did it. And he's like, you are fucking insane. What are you doing? And I was like, no, it's going to work. And then Taryn didn't feel very comfortable doing it. So then we had to get Poppy's husband in, who was spooning Taryn and had his hand... Oh through Taryn's um, uh, tracksuit, oh doing the hand for me, right? It was and Poppy, to her credit, was laughing. So I was like, "You got to stop laughing because we can see everything jiggle." Um, and and it was, uh, I am mad. And it was a moment where the whole set were looking at me like, "You are insane." And I remember I'm going, "And this is never going to make the cut, never going." Like, and the more I hear that, the more it's going to make the cut. So, um, <laughs> but I, I, I look, I think it's a cool shot. And what's next for Kings? Uh, it's Kingsman three. We'll know by the time this comes out. This comes out, I guess. But if the film's successful, then we have a Kingsman three. Uh, a treatment's done. Some of the scenes are written. Uh, I don't want to tempt fate too much. And we'd love to do that. Uh, and there's other things I'm toying with. And but it's it's uh, it's just one of those things in life. Like um, there's a moment where I have to make a film, mm-hmm. meaning I, whether it's a script or an idea. And and when that switch comes on that's all i think about for two years so um at the moment um the switch is off thank god because <laughs> it'll come on and then my life goes into the rabbit hole of filmmaking <laughs> fair enough um matthew gonna let you go but thanks uh thanks again matthew Vaughn. well thank you and i hope people have enjoyed the film uh delighted to be joined for part two of our kingsman the golden circle spoiler special by matthew Vaughn. how are you sir you all right um yes Hanging yeah. in. I'm, well, sorry, I am very tired. Hanging on, hanging in. I'm here. Both. You're doing yes. both. Uh, so to put a bit of context into it, this is now on the Monday after the film is opened in the States and in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, has reception been, from first of all, from audiences and then critically? How, how have you been faring with that? Uh, well, the good news is the audience seems to like it mm-hmm. and uh, the exits scores or polls are higher than the first film, especially with women. Critically, it was a bit of a mauling, you know, <laughs> I have to say. I was, um, you know, I don't expect everyone to like the film, but I, yeah. some of the reviews felt a little bit vindictive. I mean, I think, uh, you know, to call the movie lazy, 
It was that's the only thing that annoyed me because there's 1,500 people that really work very, very hard on the film, and so lazy isn't a word that I think is fair. But oh. you know, some of the, I, I, you know, when I made this movie, I think you're the first person who printed the statement of, you know, if you didn't like the first film, you're definitely going to hate this one. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. my mantra that I really made this for the people who enjoyed the first film, and 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 I just didn't want to set out, and I got a feeling that. Um, I think some the way it's been sold as well. I think people probably thought we'd uh, uh, what's the word homogenized it a little bit more, should we say? And we we hadn't. And I think that sort of irritated a few few people. But it's um, look, I'm proud of it. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely thrilled with the box office. You know, we're in England. We doubled the opening. America, a little bit um, disappointed with the American result. Purely, I mean, it's a good result. I can't knock it. But you know, we have American movie stars and an American sort of subplot themes and uh, I thought we would have appealed more to the Americans but maybe uh, uh, next one where we, we might I don't know I mean yeah, I'll, we'll so see what I'll, happens but hey, listen I, I, I'm look in the current climate of movies uh, yes I'm very grateful for everyone who bought a ticket and um, and I apologize to some of those critics who I obviously gave them a <laughs> two hour twenty minute horrible experience <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry but you know it's your job to to see movies you don't like as much as you do like, but um, that's that's that, and I have to. Um, I'll try and learn from some of the criticisms. And uh, do you? Uh, is there, are there any critics you want to spend an hour with in a, in a room with, <laughs> and, uh, and just hash it out with them and talk to them face to face? Not necessarily saying suggesting you want to visit violence upon anybody, but um, no. I listen. I think it's an art form making movies, so there is mm-hmm. no right or wrong, and it's a very subjective point of view so i can't say what they're saying is incorrect as i said the only the only word i've took offense to is lazy yeah that, that everything else they're in the right to say and they they could be right i mean in their world they're they're correct i can't say they're wrong yeah. you know if they didn't like the movie i can't say well you you should have <laughs> why didn't you you know <laughs> you must like my work i can't you know it'd be tempting that i yeah. could and i, I could yeah. reset everyone's opinion and say you're wrong give it a five-star review you're wrong i want another five-star <laughs> review if if, if um, but I just I do think sometimes critics don't respect the process of, of it or th- imagine what other people might think of it because there's no point reviewing you know, re- reviewing Kingsman Two as if it might have been directed by Fellini. It's, it's silly. So <laughs> okay. I think you yeah, should sure. be a critic should be criticizing for. You know, I do think sometimes critics take it to a too personal level. I mean, I think a critic's job really should be saying, look, this is the movie, and if you liked X, Y, and Z, you will like this film. If you yeah. didn't, you won't. Um, and I don't understand why critics spend half of their article explaining what the the plot... Word count. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I just go, what it is, yeah. I have 800 words to write. I have yeah, 400 words to let us plot. Is that what it is? Because I, I was a real... <laughs> I'm giving it's away the, tools of the trade yeah. here. Well, it's a, it's a bugbear of mine at the moment that I don't get... You know why in promotion we have to give away the plot and then the critic give away the plot. It should I mean literally I think a critic should say, look, this works, it's funny, it's not funny, or it's scary, it isn't whatever mm. it is, and it's worth seeing in the cinema or it isn't. And <coughs> have a uh, I, I don't know, I find it odd that, you know, it's it's I don't know, do I you know, if I'm a kid and we're gonna be given the, you know, a bed night story or a bedtime story, whatever the word is around time. Mm. You don't want to be given the whole plot and then told the story again. So, but anyway, that's Fair I don't enough. Know why. But We're in going terms off of, on a tangent, in yeah. terms of the plot, in terms of mm. 
of, of, of withholding the plot from the public um, yeah. brings us to one of the reasons you're back is because there was lots of stuff we didn't talk about the last time. And yeah. uh, we talked about Harry's return. And by the uh, way, thank you, Empire, for giving me four stars. It did get me, get me, get me uh, from rocking in the corner with crying <laughs> you, my eyes out. Gave you strength to get through it the did. night. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um, but we talked about we talked about Harry's return last time, and but what we didn't talk about was the manner in which he returns and mm. the point at which he returns in the film. Now, I know from having talked to you uh, about this film a number of times that in an ideal world, nobody would have known going into this movie that Colin Firth was back. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the biggest question, shall we say, of marketing versus um, cinematic experience. So for me, when I, you know, when, I, when you write a screenplay, you're writing, you're writing a movie. You're not thinking about how is it marketed, how, how, how does it um, play to an audience. I'm not, well, I'm not. I'm just thinking, okay, look, here's the first act, and what I was wanting was in, in, in the movie you have the flashback scene of mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, the dining room. And so when, I, I, you know, if I had my way in the marketing, I wouldn't have said Collins in the movie. I wouldn't have had him in the poster. I would have had nothing. Just the, keep it the biggest secret of all time so that when we reveal Colin and uh, Eggsy and, and Merlin are going, what the fuck, that the audience are going, what the fuck. And what I was also hoping, if we had to reveal that Colin was in it, I wanted to sort of place it that it was all flashbacks. Okay, and that's yeah. why. So when you see the flashback scene, you think, "Oh, it's going to be flashbacks of him." That's nice, and then whoa, he's okay. in it. And I think, and that was the narrative thrust for the second act. Really, was that was meant to be the moment where everything dialed up, and it's 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 one. Of the, so if you hadn't like when we did the test screenings and no one knew Colin was in, mm-hmm. in it, yeah, the audience went ah with it, and now that and it was a big moment. And I shot it for a big moment, right. But, it can never be as big a moment if you all know, you've seen it in the trailers, you know he's back. So it, it's one of those, it's such a great thing watching a film if you know nothing about it. Because then you just go on the journey. And I think um, I, there is something wonderful about really not knowing where the story is going to take you to. Yeah. And that's the whole point of stories, you know. Um, but there's the needs of marketing. It's a, it's, a, it's a fine, very fine balance. I think it did it very well. Yeah. But uh, do you think, so. I mean, because we've had this conversation a few times, you and I, about, yeah. about um, the, the reveal of, of Colin. It's an interesting thing, watching it at the premiere recently, uh, because Colin is literally on stage before yeah. he introduced the film. Yeah. And he's doing press, and there's nothing you can really say about the character. But yeah. even I remember even um, I visited the movie set, and you were keeping him under wraps. He wasn't Colin Firth on the call sheet, as far yeah. as I remember. I think it was, I think it was Benjamin Braddock on yes. the call sheet, uh, which yeah. is, of course, Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate. Yeah. And the character was Hex on the call yeah. sheet as well. So you were going to these lengths to try and keep it under wraps. Well, but... we're trying to give us that option. Yeah. And, but um, anyway, that option was <laughs> eradicated. So, um, and you know what? It's, that's life. You know, um, if we get to make another film, which, you know, fingers crossed, it carries on doing well, uh, we will. And that there are a few twists and turns on that one. And this one I will um, fight very strongly to keep these things out of the trailers and and um but it's but i get why the marketing people do it because they have to open the movie so it's it's a it's a yin and yang situation absolutely but uh so then so then you have harry has returned to the film uh he's not the harry that we know and love from the first movie Uh, obviously a very deliberate decision i mean that that obviously stems uh, i guess in part from the fact that you shot him in the head in the last one so you have to have some sort of of legacy of that. Yeah, it was a mix. It was a yeah. What we 
and there's a lot of Harry scenes we cut out um, that we filmed. Um, okay. There's a lot of scenes we cut out of this movie. You know, I know people think, God, it was long. It's like, it ain't as long as the first cut. <laughs> That's all I can say. But um, uh, I, I thought it was interesting to have sort of the role reversal that this time it's Eggsy mentoring Harry mm. and Harry on a journey of finding out who he really is. And um, there were a lot of Harry training scenes that we got rid of, sadly, which were really fun to film and to look at. But pacing-wise, we just had to um, sadly cut them. It was a del- you know, deliberate thing to give Harry a different type of arc and see a different. I think you know it's 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 just fun to see characters doing something you're not expecting them to do. Yeah. I think seeing Harry just being Harry again, yeah, it would have worked. But I think the next film we get to see Harry in all his glory again. Would not have been tricky uh, to calibrate in the edit the, the the sort of stages of Harry's recovery. You have this lovely thread of keeping the audience guessing whether he's fully back. You know, shooting whiskey yeah. in the head, for example. Yeah, well, um, we had other scenes where you definitely knew he wasn't, where he's begging, not, you know, he gets tortured. The, the statesman ways of trying to bring him back were, there was, you know, there was, he was tied to a bull. Uh, he was tied between two <laughs> horses, stretching, trying to rip him apart. He was, uh, we, we did the drowning stage. Um, he was, we have a scene where he's begging to go back and leave. To, a really, really emotional scene between him and Merlin and Merlin letting him leave. And yeah. so there was some... There were some really, really sad and funny, but tragic moments with Harry. But it was just too much, you know. Yeah. Sadly, the, you know, the, we also cut out the whole. There's a whole love story between Merlin and Ginger, which yeah. that got cut out. So, um, but it, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, lazy probably isn't the right word. What the critics say, but I did overindulge a, a tad. So um, <laughs> I had to get myself back on track when when the edit. That's the that's the curse of sequels, isn't it? Because you already have so many characters. You all want to you want to give each of them something to do. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you also have to introduce these new characters as well. Was that a tricky balancing act? Because you have the four statesmen, you have Poppy, you also have these other characters you want to give uh, things to. Yeah, it, it's the trickiest thing. Whether it's you know, for me, X Men First Class, for uh, you know, for any of these these movies with more than one or two central characters, mm. it that it's a balancing act. So everyone feel, feels that they deserve to be on screen and have their moments. So uh, I'm very, um, I'm very aware of that. And uh, um, but you know, and also if you've got big actors, you know, they're not going to sign up to be making a cup of tea in the background. So it's, um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's that's your job. To, in 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 I'm well aware, you know, Kingsman Three. There's they're all, you know, most of them are back. So it's, it's, we've already been figuring out each having their moment in the sun where <laughs> I have to guarantee they won't get cut out this time. Because, you know, I felt, <laughs> you know, Hallie was I mean, quite rightly disappointed that, because yeah. it was a really sweet stuff between Merlin and Ginger. Really, really, some really, really good scenes. So uh, did I just go because of length or was it a, a tonal thing? Totally length. It, it fitted perfectly. Right. Um, and uh, but it it was it was a plot strand too many. Okay, because there's a there's a shot in uh, I think it's one of the trailers or a TV spot where there's a where Ginger and Merlin are outdoors and and, and the blade a knife. comes yeah, out yeah, exactly. So that scene that's that's the scene I was sort of inspired by the Levi um, you know the back of a Levi jeans. You have a guy you have a pair of jeans being torn apart or not being torn apart because they're so strong by two horses yeah, yeah. so I thought oh imagine doing and then I remember the hitcher oh god yeah, yes yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. so I th- 
and my weird mind I thought, well, I'll merge those two things together and you cut to poor Harry being just being pulled between two horses <laughs> saying, what the fuck? Let me go. And Ginger's like, hey, no, 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 he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He's going to remember who he is any second. And he's screaming. Right. And then Merlin goes, I can't fucking handle this. And his clipboard has a secret knife and it comes up and he cuts, cuts uh, poor um, Harry free. But then the horse just gallops off and he's just being bounced around in the background <laughs> having a terrible time. Anyway, that scene didn't make it. Okay. Uh, DVD? Blu-ray? Will we see these things eventually? Uh, I don't know. I'm. Let me. You know what? Uh, the dust ain't settled yet. So who knows? <laughs> All right. And uh, did you lose anything else that you were really, really sad about losing? Did any of the other statesmen have moments that you that you cut? Um, the, as I said, the Merlin Ginger scenes. There was mm-hmm. a very. I think I told, I can't remember what I said last time, but there was a really nice scene where they discuss Country Roads as their favorite song and. Ginger is into the Olivia Newton-John version, and then they talk about John Denver and how and uh, um, Mark's or Merlin says, "Oh, I, was, I, I discovered him on the Muppets," and she goes, "Oh, I love the Muppets. Who's your favorite character?" He says, uh, um, "I can't remember the guy's name. Bunsen something. Uh, Bunsen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Doctor. Yeah, Bunsen. Bunsen. Yeah, Bunsen. Honeydew. Bunsen, Bunsen Honeydew. There you go. No, Honeydew is the doctor. Bunsen. No, the doctor's Beaker is the guy. Beaker. Beaker so he's yeah. talking about Beaker, and yeah. then." And then he does a beaker impression, and she's like, oh, I'll be your honeydew. And he's like, who's honeydew? And he goes, that's the doctor. And then they're sort of bonding about, and then they call, they start calling the blue Channing Gonzo. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where Mark Strong does a beaker impression. Very good one And as you well. cut it out. Yeah, it broke my heart. And it's a really good beaker impression. Um, and uh, so in terms, of the, in terms of the rest of the statesmen, mm-hmm. so... Uh, Agent Tequila is the first statesman we meet, and he exits stage left. Now, I th- I thought initially when this is my honest reaction when you cast Channing Tatum that you were going to do what you did with Jack Davenport in the first movie and have him exit unceremoniously, never to return. But was, right. that, was that ever on the cards? And uh, did Tequila play more of a role in the movie uh, than he does now? Um, no, no. All of Channing's uh, scenes remained intact. Basically. Um, apart from when he was called Gonzo, actually, that was a scene he was in the background, okay. lying there, earning a lot of money, just like, pretending to be frozen or asleep <laughs> at that point. But um, yeah, no, I um, uh, what happened actually? It was funny because whiskey. A lot of the opening scenes all about Agent Whiskey, and we t- and we did have an Agent Tequila that that got killed off, and then I just Channing wanted to do it. He had a scheduling problem, mm-hmm. and I just thought. You know, we'll have some fun here. You meet you meet Tequila, and then Tequila gets frozen, then he comes back. And I also thought, you know what? The fact that he's famous and being the agent that's frozen and needs to be rescued, at least you remember if it was an unknown guy, it's probably not as powerful. And, um, uh, yeah, so but he's it was good to get Channing in it. He's a delight to work mm-hmm. with, an absolute delight. And um, I think he made, you know, for you know for two weeks of filming, he had quite a big impact on the movie. So, so obviously you know that you know that you, you know the scheduling that an actor has. You know you have Channing for two two weeks. You have Jeff Bridges for what a week? Three days. Three days. Christ. So, do you have to recalibrate the script to to deal with that, or is that already no, built no, into no, the script? No, no, that was all built in. It was okay. all built in. Um, I said we uh, we did we calibrated the script for actually for Channing mm-hmm. a bit, but but Jeff was all in, and there was one scene of Jeff that didn't make make, make the final final cut. Okay, when. Um, Hallie and him had a scene where Jeff's freaking out and Hallie's calming him down. 
All right, okay. DVD one day. Um, just a couple of uh, quick points, and I'll get on to another uh, big topic, which is uh, at the end we see other statesmen, and it's blink and you'll miss it. Uh, any famous faces in there? Anyone we should know about? Or is it very much, are you casting your mates <laughs> at that point? That was extras. We were, we were, at that point, we were tapped out, and um, they're all blue and hazy. And, and so, <laughs> so no. no um, all right. Uh, no secret faces. Yeah, they might be morphing into interesting people in the next movie, but um, uh, no. Okay, because the uh, the Kingsman agents we see, according to the IMDb, Tom Parker Bowles is one of them. Is that is that right? Uh, Tom is in there. Yes. Okay. He is. He is. Um, why? God knows, but he is. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, one big thing that I think we've, we've had a lot of uh, questions come in from listeners as well about this. We talked last time about the decision to blow up Kingsman and to, uh, to yes. do that. Um, a lot of people have asked about Roxy. Right. And the decision to kill her off. Or not. We never see a body. Or not. Or not. So what's the, what's the definitive word on that? Well, as Kingsman could be, maybe we should call the next movie Kingsman the Lazarus Affair. And, uh, <laughs> Merlin as, coming as, back. As Merlin and Roxy come coming in saying, <laughs> hey, what's the big deal? Um, uh, never say never. I think um, I've got enough characters to deal with and, and I love Roxy and Sophie was, was brilliant. But I, I, it also, I just felt when Roxy died, it felt like I wanted the audience to think, oh, you know, they need, we needed a few people to die who don't come back to get the stakes because by bringing Colin back, we were already asking the audience for suspension of disbelief, and then mm-hmm. having a you know feeling um because we you know we had a great scene with Merlin coming back in the film. I cut that out by the way. So we that's a, that's another. So what originally happened was uh after they saved the world, mm-hmm. uh, Colin and Taron are sitting in the counter, and Colin looks at Taron and goes, "Come on, we just saved the world," and Taron starts going starts blubbing his eyes out saying what about Merlin he said we could cry and Harry's looking at him going yeah what are you doing and he goes what do you mean what I'm doing you upper class stiff upper lip crap you start crying and then they both start crying their eyes out and they're hugging each other and suddenly you hear what are you doing you Nancy's and then <laughs> they turn around and Merlin's hanging out of the uh, we filmed this all and he's hanging out of the bloody um the cat the dog flap <laughs> <laughs> and they go running over. They go, you're alive, you're alive. And, and he, they look over and they're like, oh, shit, Merlin, you've got no legs. And he's like, I know, get me to the bloody hospital. <laughs> but then, but we, there's a whole subplot which is missing. Of, you know, I don't know when you notice and when, um, but we, we had it all set up. So, because, um, so, uh, what's it called? Channing was dancing in a weird blue outfit and the yeah. blue out underwear is statesman. And it's, they, Merlin thinks it's just bulletproof underwear. It finds out it's bomb-proof as well. And he lost his legs because he forgot to wear the bomb-proof socks. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. So we had it gotcha. all planned out. But then what happened when we were testing the movie, everyone was like, yay, he's alive. But, oh, fuck you. You just put us on that real journey with Merlin dying on the mine. And that's not cool. Yeah. And it felt like we were robbing. Uh, and poor Mark. I mean, cause we had to paint Mark out of, he was in all the other, he was at the wedding. He's at the wedding and he's at the statesman scene at the end. So Paul Mark, when he saw the, when I said he's cut out, he's like, he was like, well, how have you dealt with the other scenes that I was in? And there's a guy in a kilt clapping, and that's Mark with someone else's head on. <laughs> so welcome to the filmmaking process. Oh it's my never god, quite as planned. Oh, there we you do. Go. We make movies to try. Well, I make movies to try and please the audience, and sometimes I have to kill my darlings because I hate the idea of Mark not being around. 
Well, you've just sold another ticket. I've got to go back now and check that out yeah. uh, at the very, very end. But Mark so couldn't believe it. Mark, he's like, "That's my hands." <laughs> <laughs> he still gets paid for the day, right? He's still, he's still yeah. okay. Um, but Roxy, then, so Roxy was more of a storytelling thing because well, one thing has come clear from people who've written in about it is that that character really seemed to connect, and people yeah. were looking forward to seeing more of her in this one. Yeah, it was a story point. Um, story always has to win. For example, I didn't really didn't want to kill Merlin off, mm-hmm. but I've had to because it doesn't didn't. It was ruining the end of the film. And um, story comes first. And ultimately, this movie franchise is Eggsy's journey. As, a, as That's the most... So it's whatever is the right journey for Eggsy to go on, everybody else has to fit into. So moving on to the end of the film, uh, right. you have this this shift uh, in status for the, the Kingsman and the Statesman, effectively Bond. And uh, the end of the film, the very last shot, is Channing Tatum in in full Kingsman gear. No, uh, half Kingsman gear. Half Kingsman He's gear. He's wearing cowboy boots, cowboy Oh, is he? Shirt. Okay. All right. Excellent. So is that is that very much an indication of the status that, they, that we can expect all Kingsmen to be <laughs> mixing their clothes from now on? Or No, just Channing. Chan- I, I think um, we're halfway through the release now and I don't want to, you know, tempt fate. And mm. But if it does go well, you know, all those characters, if you, if you think about it, you know, Eggsy's now whether he likes something, you know, he's now married into a royal family, living in Sweden as a prince. Mm-hmm. Channing is now working in the London New Kingsman offices. Harry's back at his day job, and they're rebuilding Kingsman. And um, you know, Hallie's now become, you know, whiskey. You know, gone from ginger ale. She, she's a spy. She's whiskey. So they're all about. To, it's all I hope set up for, to watch these main characters go on a new journey. So, say Kingsman three does happen. How far ahead have you have you plotted? Have you got a oh, treatment? It's all done. No, it's all done. The 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 the, the plot is all done. It's uh, yeah. It's all it's all it's. I I just have to sit down with Jane and write the bloody script. But but the whole journey, a lot of the set pieces, twist, turns, plot, it's all done. It's all ready to go. Which makes it even harder when you when you got a movie out there because you go oh, I had a whole big sequel for Stardust ready to go. So and that killed me when when Stardust didn't do well enough for us to make a sequel. Oh, really wow. really fun idea for the sequel, which uh, I would have loved to have done. Loved to have made that button, but but there wasn't enough public appetite, sadly. Surely that's changed over the years, has it? Has that film um, had a second life? Uh, it has, but it, it, not enough, because it wasn't a cheap idea, and it was... Um, yeah, it hasn't. I, well, you know what? Let me do some research because it, it is a. It, it could be a really. Fun, it was a fun. It's not what you'd imagine the sequel to be. Totally different, but the same tone at least. And and uh, in terms of Kingsman Three, can you can you hint at what you've got in store? I've I've heard from people in the past that it's bonkers, but I don't know anything else beyond. That. Well, it's it's so bonkers. It is bonkers, but it's also quite real, and it's quite. It's very Kingsman. It's it's what Kingsman is. It's bonkers, but. With an anchor of reality to it, and it's you know I, I, I can't say that these critics haven't dented my confidence a little bit with the whole thing because you know mm. you, you know any director that says I don't care what critics say are either liars or delusional or should care a little you know you, mm. you know these people um, I mean I don't know the critics but I you know but the, you know the, you, you can't not listen to what they're saying. So it is bonkers, but Kingsman is bonkers. And weirdly, if it wasn't bonkers, I think 
it wouldn't be Kingsman. And luckily, as I said, the the audience, if the audience that gets to you know what you know the magic number will be five hundred million. If we get to five hundred, so that triggers it. Then that will trigger that we should be doing another one because that's enough fans. And I think I've got to be brave and stick to what the fans want. So I think Bonkers is it, it, we are bonk, we're a Bonkers franchise. Um, mm. Exy is a prince at the end of the movie, as as you said. Um, now the decision to bring his relationship and in fact to give him a relationship with Princess Tilde mm. was was that relatively early in the day or was it yeah that thing? was that was the main arc. Uh, not the main arc, but one of the arcs that Jane and I... What we thought was interesting, and I do find... Well, we'll say something in a second, actually. So what I thought was interesting is in these movies, you see the you know the spy, the, the spies or James Bond or whatever going around the world, screwing everything that moves, no relationship, no um, no thought for the feelings of, of, of the woman, no falling in love, no conflict... Mm-hmm. Um, Casino Royale actually had a bit of that to its credit, but I'm talking about you know the generalization of it. And I just thought it'd be really interesting to see that Eggsy's fallen in love with the woman that everyone was, well, half the world was were totally flabbergasted by how she behaved in the first film mm-hmm. or what she said, should we say? And then secondly, I just thought we, you know, if he has to decide about whether he wants to be a spy or you know be in love with someone, and mm-hmm. and the two things. They are very conflicting needs, and there was a scene that was cut between Whiskey and and uh, Eggsy, where Whiskey's like, "What are you doing? Being in a relationship? Being the best thing about being a spy? We go into town, we fucking we fuck a girl, and we leave. This is yeah. just great." And yeah, and, and and it was shot identically to the scene where Colin says, "Oh my god, I made the biggest mistake. My last, you know, my life." Oh, flashed okay. inside of me so it was a, on the a, plane yeah, yeah so you have two different spies with two very very different advice to mm-hmm. the young Eggsy um, and uh, I just you know I just thought it was interesting because um, and then there were, and what I do find fascinating as well is you know it, it's been, there's been a bit of controversy about a certain scene where he has to implant a bug right? yeah yeah. And people are going oh my god it's, it's and I'm like well hold on is that worse than when James Bond goes into a, a, you know, meets a girl, fucks her, then kills her, and then leaves? I mean, we we talked last time about how you and Jane went back and forth on on that on that moment as well. I mean, it's not something that you arrive at lightly. Um, yeah, it, but there was a lot of characterization and story behind the moment. Yeah, and and it and and, and I do feel, as I said, I do find that the idea that sex is far more. Uh, Word radical or shocking than violence. I don't get it. I really find it odd. You know, it's, it's but it is what it is. Uh, so Exy is now a prince. Was that always the idea? Was that the 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 minute you realised you were going to put him in a relationship with 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 Princess Tilde? Did you realise? Do you think okay, we're going to end the movie with him being full yeah, blown prince? A reluctant. He's give you know. I I always found I I I find Prince Philip fascinating. You know of what it's like to. I mean, I sort of weirdly is the last fifteen years of my life, very much being in the shadow of a, of a you know married to a very famous woman, mm. and I it's a bit odd. You do walk around in in the shadow. Um, I mean, guy and I, you know, guy when guy was married to Madonna as well, we would talk. We'd go. I mean, literally, we didn't exist sometimes. You know, <laughs> we, we, we just talked, um, which is fine. I got no problem about it. But it's an odd. I just like the idea that that Exy has given up what he loves. For the person he loves, yeah, and but it's worse than that. He's now having to be a 
prince and he's not a prince and and I do think the royal family they they they're blessed in some ways and cursed in others I mean yeah half the you know they're into open things every day and meet thousands of people and not ha- not really be in control of you they have everything but nothing at the same time and I just thought it was interesting for Eggsy to go out, now go on a journey of being a royal prince and mm-hmm. and having to do it properly but not you know but missing his real life and missing his real friends and being part of a of, of a world that that he doesn't want to be part of that world but he you know because I think you know I, I like the idea of subverting that most people would say they'd want to be a prince or they want to be a princess and never become it he doesn't want it and he's had to do it but he's doing it for love and and I just, I just think it's it's going to be fun. it's it's going to be fun you know swapping the council estate for a real estate <laughs> So is he is he leaving Kingsman behind, or is he, is he going to be Kingsman in on the weekends uh, or in his, in his spare He's time? He's going on a journey that you will not ever ever guess. <laughs> All these tantalising hints, man. Yeah. And uh, one one intriguing thing I noticed about the end is that uh, at the wedding uh, during the wedding scene, you suddenly switch to Harry essentially narrating uh, to the audience, which is the first time, unless I'm completely wrong, the first time you've done it in this series of movies. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that that decision? this is an end of a chapter yeah and it felt like it, it it wasn't planned to do that it was just when i was watching the wedding and and so in the original version of the wedding elton sings i want to kiss the bride and we got bernie torpin to write brilliant lyrics about he was you know about eggsy get marrying a princess right. and it was, okay. he wrote these fantastic lyrics bernie did for the for the film but suddenly i felt like when you had Elton singing and everyone clapping, I was, I was like, oh, fuck, I've gone and made Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I love Four Weddings and a Funeral, but it was not... <laughs> the gravitas had gone, and it's like we'd sw- if you'd switch channels, especially, and then you've got Colin Firth, of all people, clapping <laughs> in a wedding with Elton John singing. I was like, oh, this isn't the right vibe. So we wanted to make sure it had a bit more weight, so that's why we put the Kingsman music theme on, but being played in a very sort of ceremonial style. And I was looking at it, and I thought, you know what? Colin... He's back, and it sort of feels like it, it, it just felt like the right way for everyone to understand that that was the end of a of a the journey of you know Exy is now a man. He's given up being a spy. Colin is is proud of him, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 it's so the, the, you know the, I know you're right. Actually, I never even thought of it. You're, you're making my head spin because I was like I didn't <laughs> think about that. that. There is no other voiceover in there, and there hasn't been, so it's not a device I've used. So, but it sometimes you just do things because it feels like the right thing to do, and I I'm I'm now thinking it through why and the impact that has now that the character is narrating. Where so I'm gonna have to think about that more. So you've took you 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 got you well, landed a jab because I didn't I didn't I haven't thought it through, but it felt like there was something about because that's a Churchill quote as well. Okay, you know, this is not the end of the beginning; it's the beginning mm-hmm. of the end. It meant to just it just sums up. I like the idea. He says a Kingsman once said, "So we're saying Churchill used to be mm. a Kingsman, but mm. which also will tie into other things I might might be doing with that with the whole universe of um, I'm very interested in exploring the original Kingsman, the historical stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, I've actually written a pilot for a TV series which about that, which I think would be very cool. Which is the it's how did Kingsman end up needing new blood? Okay, and starting right at the beginning. And it's quite fun, really fun, oh, wow. fun pilot that we've been. Uh, I've been, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of unfinished written stuff at the moment, so <laughs> I've got to finish some things off. But, but the, um, but the interesting, um, 
yeah so so it just felt if i don't know i don't know i it felt better than elton john singing i want to kiss the bride <laughs> let's put it that way even with those new bernie Taupin lyrics yeah. uh but you know maybe it's because we come into kingsman with colin right back at the very very beginning of the first yeah. movie maybe it makes sense to go out of this one on him let's Let's go with that, agree shall we? With that. Let's I'll go say, with that. Yeah, you can answer that question for me next time. All right. So someone wrote in asking uh, where Vinnie Jones was in the film, and there's an there's an image of Finney in Poppy's diner in what looks like the same sort of costume Keith Allen had. Was there a switch there? No, no, no. So Vinnie shot two scenes. He had four, and um, again, the film was getting so long, and Vinnie was genuinely brilliant in these scenes. But we had to get, you know, we had to cut out a whole sort of twelve-minute plot line of. So Vinny did play one of the other heads of drug dealers. So there's a big scene where she's doing a conference with all the drug dealers and tells the plan, and then Vinny goes back to his domain, and then Eggsy and uh, and Harry track him down. And there was quite a fun scene with the three of them, after all having a pee. They start comparing the size of each other's knobs, and then. Vinny realizes they're talking about guns. It's how like, oh, fuck would you want? <laughs> and uh, they get the information <laughs> of how to find. They, they found Poppy Land using Vinny, okay. and, and I love Vin. And I want. And but what I will say um, is always positive out of negative. That the there's a bigger, better role for me to put Vinny in the next one. Okay, that's interesting. How long? Good was question. It? What motherfucker came up with that? Well I don't done. know. I didn't okay. write down the name, but they, they, yeah. they even sent me the picture of him in Poppy's diner. So yeah. uh, it was uh, intriguing. Um, Poppy's death. Uh, she gets high on her own supply, so to speak. Was that always the way that you and Jane had it? Was yes, I thought it was. It, it's always that problem about when you have a you know a female lead villain. Um, of I we wrote one sequence where Harry comes in and just beats a living shit out of her, and I was like, mm, nah, probably not what people want to see. Uh, we did cut out because uh, what we had with her that she's you know trained. It was quite a fun sequence where she was fully, tra- you know, she was saying she's a fully trained soldier and she's been trained in, in pain control and she starts showing them examples. So she goes up to the uh, the, the frying machine, you know, the hamburger yeah. hot plate and she cooks her hand and it starts bubbling and then it gets stuck and she has to get a spatula and takes it off and then she's like, oh, and then she turns on the mincer and is about to put her hand in it and they go, okay, enough, enough, enough. But again, it was too long, so we cut. It was really fun. That it was like there's like a, a minute of her torturing herself and and Colin and and uh, Eggsy looking at each other, going, what "The <laughs> fuck do we do now?" Um, but we thought it was yeah, high on her own supply plus the you know the 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 added extra you know poison that she'd put into it. So it just twisted. You know, we thought use her own weapon against her to mm. talk. Did you have a, a moment where she danced? Because everyone who uses that drug has the, the dancing phase. Um, no, because he's, she sped it so much that then what happened, she hadn't got... She dies of a heroin overdose, not mm-hmm. of the... Not of the... Yeah, yeah. so she goes blue, um, and then the dancing would have happened, but she suddenly kills over and dies, and he's like, what do you do? You gave her too much. She okay. OD'd. So All the right. heroin is what killed her, not the poison. Not the poison. All right, Grant. Uh there's a really interesting thing. We talked here about how much you've had to cut out the film and uh, and what does that change for you in terms of uh, approaching the movie from a, an editing standpoint? I notice there's lots of tr- scene transitions in this movie where you you almost match fade from scene to scene. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll, uh, is that something that you, you've studied all the way through the movie deliberately or is that uh, as a byproduct of having to cut so many scenes in a way? No, the the match that that's done beforehand. That's okay. The transitions for me are very important. I think it makes a movie feel... 
far more smooth. You know, you, you sort of, I, 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 I don't know. There's some movies I find the editing keeps wakes reminds you you're watching a film. It's like a bump. It's like oh, we're in a new place, mm. and and I that's why I like transitions and which which just you you just feel like you're on a story. You're going on a you know where everything's blending together. So yeah. I'm. I'm I mean, I really do. I drive my DP nuts. Say I want to trans go from here to there, and that fades up to the. You know, it's, it's, yeah. I find it. I, I think what happened, you've, you you sort of it's a bit more hypnotic. Well, there's there's a transition between the uh, the bag of drugs in uh, the into the forest, beginning into the forest, or the jungle. Sorry, the jungle, yeah. uh, which is obviously something you've planned. But what about when you do cut out a scene that you have planned to transition? Oh, for? I've had what some you? really great. Uh, John Harris, my editor on the other films, uh, used to bollock me because I go we can't get rid of that scene I'm losing the transition and he's like mate no one's gonna what would you rather a well edited good story or a badly edited slow story with some good transitions <laughs> so there are a few I I, there's, there's a few transitions that I have lost um, in the past but um, but you know if I can keep them I do and uh, and music wise did you have to lose anything because the, the music in this film is really interesting so you start with Prince you obviously have Elton Mm-hmm. And that song, I guess, just suggests itself. But you do something really interesting with it, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. You segue into a live version at the end. Three, that was, not say, that's three different live versions blended together. Really? Yeah. Okay. All recorded in the 70s. And, um, Bloody was, hell, he was, he was on his game in the 70s. He sounds just like the record. Elton John is an incredible, incredible singer piano player, songwriter, performer, <laughs> um, and, I, yeah, I, well, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled that people are loving him in this movie because yeah. he so deserves the recognition. And he was, it was a very ballsy move for him to come and do, do this film. And, and I'm just glad it's paid off because he's a lovely, lovely man as well. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I learned a lot working with him. And, then, you know, and you know, we're doing Rocket Man next. And, um, with Taron. So is this how the, the next few years are going to be for you? So you make a Kingsman movie and then you make a biopic with Taron in the lead role that Dexter Fletcher is directing and then you make another Kingsman movie and then just repeat for, for, forever. Is that, is that the plan? Now that you've highlighted it, you've probably <laughs> gone and put a kibosh on it and Dexter I've will done be no such all thing. upset saying when I say no more after this. Um, the thing about Marv is there is no plan. If a good idea happens, or there's a good script, or there's you know, we just we love making movies, and we're a bunch of fanboys that are so lucky to be mm-hmm. doing what we do. And what comes next, I really don't know, because it's it's what it, what excites us and what we can do. And as I said, Rocket Man excites us, and Taron and Dexter, so we're making it. Um, Kingsman Three excites us. We're writing that. I'm halfway through a spec script. I'm okay. writing at the moment that. I have n- no idea why I'm writing it at the moment, but probably it's just so, so much fear about Kingsman 2 not working that I thought I'd better have an insurance policy. Um, but And then, you, you know about, the, you know, maybe the, I might be dabbling in the DC world, or uh-huh. I, I just, you know, it's it's never say never. I mean, still waiting for a Star Wars call, but it never seems to happen. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, oh. I, but but it's interesting, because you've, you've always struck me as a director who, and you have worked in the studio system before, mm-hmm. but you've also walked away from the studio system before, yeah. uh, quite famously. And yes. you strike me as someone who likes the control that making your own stuff gives you. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm a big believer. If I'm going to make a mistake, I want it to be my mistake. 
not somebody else's mistake that I was forced to do and then take all the rap for. And mm. that's happened a lot to a lot of directors. I mean, I try to be... Um, there's a lot of directors who I think have been given a bad just a bad rep, but they've done nothing wrong. They've just done as they're told. So mm. um, I think I'm getting to a stage now that the studios will listen to me more, but they've got brands that they need to protect. And um, I, never say never. And it depends who's running the studio and who the producers are. Like, I think um, if I work at Marvel, I, you know, Kevin Feige's a great guy. Mm-hmm. I get on with Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd actually have a fun making a movie with Kevin because we can both, I, you know, if Kevin says, look, I don't think it should be like this, I'm going to listen to him because he's proven himself. He knows what he's yeah. doing. It's just when you suddenly have executives who aren't, you know, when I'm having notes saying this character cannot wear brown or have a moustache, I'm going, what are you talking about? You know, that's not a script note. That's some weird personal preference coming in. Yeah, never say never. Yeah, never say never. I mean, I could. Who knows what I'm going to do next? I mean, I'm. Okay, so but, but I know we've we've talked in the past about how much Donner's Superman means to you. Great film. I, I think Donner is one of the most brilliant directors out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, I think The Omen is my number one horror movie of all time. Mm-hmm. I think he did the best Man from Uncle episodes. And the Lethal Weapons are brilliant for the yeah. first two and a half. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Fantastic. Um, great Superman. I enjoyed Maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, He's one know. of those fantastic jacks of all trades. And, uh, but he's a director. He knows yeah. how to... And he. I, I remember... Um, you know, I've met him a few times, and he's also a lovely human being, yeah. and gave me some great advice, and but really unselfish, no ego advice, and he just he's the real deal, you know. And and, and but weirdly, you say Dick Donner to people, no one really knows who he is. Yeah, which is it's, it's sort of maybe that sums him up as well that he hasn't got the ego to, that he needs that recognition. But um, fantastic director. I mean, yeah. The Omen, it's a masterclass. It's amazing. Right, the last question, Matthew, I promise you. All right, you can carry on. I'm sort of relaxing now. (laughs) Who's Galahad now? Officially. Harry is, of course. Okay, all right. Harry is back to Galahad. And poor, um, you know, older, you know, Taron's, you know, he's he's a prince of Sweden right now. (laughs) Highlight of his days opening a supermarket. (laughs) It's up at Kingsman three years, just actually <laughs> opening supermarkets. Yeah, he's very he's very good at reve- you know revealing plaques. <laughs> Amazing, and of course, Lancelot is a position yet to be filled. There's a lot. What it's yeah, <laughs> I, I've got a problem. I've got a bit of a lot of actors to keep happy. Um, so good problem to have. Good problem to have indeed. And Lancelot seems to be a cursed position within the Kingsman. I have to say that might change. But Lancelot, if you think about, uh-huh. about it, was a cursed knight for King Arthur. This is true. This is true. All right. Well, watch this space. Let um, me just check my questions, make sure I am absolutely right. And that was the last question. Uh, there's one here about whether Angel had more to do initially, or was, did he? Was he someone who, as well, had scenes cut out? There's a moment where Elton talks about partying with Angel. Do we? Did we see that shot at, at any point? Oh, Angel. X Men. You're thinking about X Men First really Class was. again? Yeah. I was just like flap, flap, flap. No, no, no not that one. <laughs> um, I, no, Angel. Yeah, he had one other scene. Uh, there was quite a fun. <laughs> we had this sequence again. It's another mad scene that uh, where he um, 
the beauty parlor. He goes into the beauty parlor, and I don't know if you noticed that there's a there's a little um, the, 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 those little the you have those manicures. There's a manicure. I don't know what they're called when you have the little fish pedicure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have pedicures yeah. with um these little fish that eat your dead skin on your feet. And uh, Poppy's having her done, and she goes, "Angel, sit down." And then she presses a button, and he gets stuck in, and then piranhas come out. Where and he had his feet. So he has. There's a scene where he's having his feet eaten <laughs> off by piranhas um, um, for um, partying with Elton, and he wasn't meant to, but that got cut. Okay, because then he wouldn't have been able to run for his life when he's ripped apart yeah. by uh, Benny and Jet, and uh, <laughs> that that's pretty awesome. Uh, I think that's it. I think yeah. we. I think oh, he one, was a great. I tell you about Angel. Just so yeah. you know. It's, actor called Tom mm-hmm. and he's a vegan <laughs> and on the first he t- and it's that typical thing where we just about start filming and then suddenly get told oh no he's a vegan he can't eat the burger and I'm like but he knew there was a hamburger what the hell's going on here and this is going to be shot really close so it can't look like a baked bean burger or whatever you know yeah, yeah. you can tell the difference between meat and, and vegetable patties um, and I said what do I do and, and then he, to his credit he turned around and said you know what I'll eat the meat I'll eat the meat I went, you sure? And he's like, yep, yep, yep. Um, I'll do it. I'll do it. So when he was retching going through that, he, was, <laughs> that, he wasn't acting. It was to him. Oh, he was, yeah. So um, I take you know, credit to the man for, for, for his amazing. art. So, um, I'm, and he's lovely. Good so the, the, the smile at the end where he goes... Delicious. He yeah. really was like... Oof. He was a vegan eating. A Jesus Christ. Uh, we did have someone write in uh, ask about certification because mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they noted that Two people get uh, dropped into a meat grinder, but you don't have fountains of blood. Yes. Now, is that a certification thing? Is that a BBFC, MPAA thing? Or no, is it too s- over the top for even for, even for Kingsman? In I, a way? If you look at Kingsman, there's hardly any blood yeah. in any of the films. Look at any of my... Look at Kick-Ass. Look at my, I, I always say my violence is Tom and Jerry mm-hmm. inspired. And, it, you know, it's not gratuitous and meant to be disgusting. It's meant to... You know, when you watch the burger scene, people laugh. You know, not everyone, but enough. <laughs> but enough people are laughing at that. Enough people were laughing when Hit Girl were taking out people. You know, it's yeah. my job is I want it to be, as I say, Tom and Jerry violence where it's not real. And the grinder, I sort of thought to myself, well, look at how 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 organized old Poppy is with yeah. and with the technology she has. So if you actually look at it, when the body goes in, there's a side of it where you're seeing all the clothes. I'm yes. saying it's it's a very, very, very high-tech mincer that sucks the blood through one area, takes all the clothes out from another. And because uh, I imagine she didn't want blood splatting everywhere. So, um, <laughs> But also, I didn't want to see... We had one version. I went, let's see the gory version. And, uh-huh. and from that top shot, and he goes in, I thought, do I go for it? And... It stopped you. That's the moment you want to smile at the death of whiskey, not feel. And even when we pull down to the mints coming through in the first time, uh-huh. it's sort of comedy mints. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like everyone's like, whoa. Comedy uh, mints, isn't it? Yeah, I've done, I've done podcasts for five and a half years. I've never heard the phrase comedy mints. mints. I think that's yeah. a good note in which to end. Uh, cool. Matthew Fong, thanks for coming in. Okay, so that was Matthew Fong. And now it is our turn to talk about Kingsman the Golden Circle. Let's start with that shot, shall we? The the elephant in the room. Uh, let's get out of the way, and then we can talk about the film proper. Uh, I am, of course, talking about Elton John high-kicking someone whilst looking at the camera. What an amazing moment. <laughs> Extraordinary. No, of course, we'll talk about that in a few seconds, but I'm talking about the Glastonbury sequence and the... Uh, how do we describe this shot? <laughs> how do we describe this shot? Unnecessary gynecological detail? Uh... 
fingering. The fingering shot. Yes, yeah, well, okay, let's go for that. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Yeah. Uh, so, Terry, I know you had, you're, you're probably the, uh, how would you say, you're probably most down sort of on, on that shot, so to speak. Yes, down on, not down with. Yes, down on. Perfectly clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will just preface this by saying I actually really love this film. Um, and this was, um, this shot was a real issue for me, right? Um, and we've talked about it a lot in the office. And I think mm-hmm. I am a bit of a lone voice. Um, but I'm confident in this, being a lone yeah. voice. Well, this is, this surprised me because obviously uh, film Twitter has has not reacted well to this shot. I no. It, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> film Twitter has not. And look, no. here's the thing. So... I get the whole James Bond pastiche. I get the fact that they're kind of riffing on the fact that that this kind of shit in terms of deception um, and certain methods to get the ladies into bed and certain crazy twists and turns, literally, and plot points happen in these kind of movies. And, And I understand all of that. However, my main issue is I think there is a real genuine issue of consent with this shot, okay? So... He gets her into bed through deception anyway. Clearly, she's also deceiving him. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a, one level of the debate. But ultimately, she does not consent to having a tracking device inserted into her vagina. It's not in the terms and conditions, no. So I found it really challenging. And it was, I remember calling somebody and, and somebody else on the team afterwards to discuss this moment. And I said, I didn't think this week I would be having a conversation about <laughs> consent and, and inserting a tracking device into somebody's vagina. Actually, it, the, the detail of the shot is obviously quite something. And it's, it's. I mean, I was sat next to you, Chris, the first time I saw it. Yes. And I think my you probably heard my jaw well, I, I watched, scrape my own ankle at that point. I watched you rather than the, the if you recall, because I had yes. seen this shot before. And I knew what was coming. And I watched you to see what your reaction was going to be. And you didn't disappoint. No. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I've heard a reaction like that in a... In a it wasn't that <laughs> packed. The first time the, that we saw the Golden Circle in its entirety, uh, it was about how many people in the room? 20? Yeah. 25? And I'd say uh, the reaction was basically... <laughs> some were horrified. Some were. Some people were just flabbergasted that they had seen something like that in a mainstream movie. Uh, some were a mixture of both. Uh, you were a mixture of both, I think, because you turned to me and you literally said out loud, "Did I just see that?" Yes. And I said, "Yes, yes, you did." Yes, I. Yeah, there was a bit of uh, rubbing of my eyes happening at that point <laughs> because, thankfully, you hadn't warned me what was coming, and, no. and it does act as a, you know, a real moment of shock. But I understand that some people will say maybe you needed it from a narrative perspective, okay? Because a he was putting this. Well, okay, maybe. Well, you don't need the shot the from shot, a narrative perspective, do you? They they needed to put him in a moral, ethical kind of conundrum where he yeah. genuinely didn't want to do this, and also, obviously, it then essentially lost him his relationship. So you kind of take him, and he loses everything. He'd already lost so much by that point, and now he'd lost something else but I don't think it's justified from that perspective either because mm-hmm. I think there are ways to do that which on the level the, the choice to put something inside a woman's vagina under the guise of having consensual sex with her is a very specific thing to do um I found it very challenging I did think it really blurred the um kind of boundaries of consent mm-hmm. um as a woman watching it, and I do think, I don't often, I really believe, have gendered responses to stuff I see in films. I really, I crossed my legs and I felt my vagina shrink up inside my body because I had a very female response to it. 
And that is because, and I found it incredibly difficult to watch and I found it quite violating to watch. And I had very strong reaction to it. I think the consent issue, I 100% agree, it's really twisted and weird there. I think it, I, I didn't find the shot as a shot in itself offensive or, or particularly I just thought it was stupid and unnecessary but I didn't like I wasn't offended by the, sh- the particular inside out shot because it's not it's not sexy it's not pornographic it's just like it's some weird pink blur on the screen it CG. takes you yeah. yeah it takes you kind of a minute to figure out what's going on like the beginning of love I mean if we're talking mm. sort of crazy pornography I saw that in 3D so um, a mere you know finger against a pink background like whatever no big deal but you're right it is a bit creepy and wrong and no and <laughs> but this is this is what Chris said you mentioned love it's like he was saying like had Gaspar Noé shot that exact shot would we all be reacting very differently to it than Michael uh, than Matthew Vaughan who but, we know did it but it's, got, it's context yeah. isn't it it's context of art house directors and mainstream directors and movies that are going to be seen yeah. by loads of people yeah because I bumped on the bum sex scene at the end of the first film yes. which I know you guys did as mm. well and my issue with that obviously wasn't that I thought it was crass which of course it was but that's absolutely yeah, fine. That's fine it was there was a consent issue there because she was under duress because she was imprisoned at the time which is something that Chris didn't bump on at all but that bothered me well that's because I'm a, oh, clearly a, I'm a terrible human being well, well yes, yes that's clearly that, yeah but, but no, in this one, from a consent point of view, I guess I didn't feel the same because the act itself was consensual. It was well, the tracking device was the kind of the that's your the, your tricky a part. A spy is not going to say to his mark, yeah. "Can I implant this tracking device on you, whether it's in your nose or your through your bloodstream or you know your holiest of holies?" He's not going to say that. Yeah. Uh, question, of course, from a plot point of view, could they have? Could you know Fawn and Goldman have come up with? A different way to implant something. Are they just going to for the shock factor? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Matthew Vaughan, I think, are. effectively admitted as much, of course, in yes. the interview. And you know, whether whether or not it was advisable, I'm not entirely sure. But, but, but this is it. He keeps going for the shock factor. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit, and it's a little bit. Uh, it should be beneath him as a filmmaker. He shouldn't yeah. need the yeah. shock factor well, like, also, to make sorry. people sit up and take well, notice. I was going to say it's I'm with Helen in that I didn't the actual. Sh- I mean, I get the kind of shock value around who shows the inside of a... I don't even know what it was. Was it a vaginal wall? Was it a canal? I don't know what it was. I have not seen inside my own vagina, so I didn't. I wouldn't know. But I didn't have any real problem with that. It is the issue, the, the storytelling aspect, I think. Absolutely. I'm sure there are other places you can plant a book. Um, I'm just going out on a limb and going to say probably anywhere else. But I, the consent thing is the thing that really... that I found most shocking, not the actual detail of the shot. Did you find it slightly leavened by the fact that he has that conversation with Tildy before it, kind of no, apologising preemptively that, that for it? That infuriates me that you'd even say that. Honestly, <laughs> it does. Like, why? Because she he he attempts to ask for a pass. Well, funnily enough, because... What about the third woman in this scenario? Does she... She has no agency whatsoever. No, the reason I ask is because the scene at the end of the first film, which I had such difficulty with, a lot of people I've spoken to have found that less offensive now that he's essentially engaged to and marrying the princess that it feels slightly less sordid in that regard so it's almost like that's been slightly leavened so much so that when Elton John makes the callback to that moment you chort along with it and it's no longer quite as offensive and I wonder whether you thought that this helped smooth it over I mean, I I like the fact that they were in a relationship just because I hadn't seen it a million times in every bloody spy movie ever. Mm. <laughs> I hadn't seen the disposable prize because that was what was, was so offensive mm. about the first one. She was treating herself or he, and the film was treating her, let's face it, because we don't have any say in her character in the first film. We have no impression of her character except that she immediately hits on this spy. That's the only thing we really know about her in the first film. Um, 
So she had no agency, she had no character, she had no wider world. I mean, Jane Goldman, you know, uh, who who sort of defended that one recently to me in, a, in an interview she was talking about, you know, she just thought saw it as Tilde being sex positive and, you know, being very free and open. We have no reason in the first movie to make that, uh, that judgment of her because we have nothing to base it on. Um, but in the second movie, yeah, sure, the fact that they're in a relationship is an interesting wrinkle that we haven't seen in every spy movie ever. It give it does give him some different kind of dilemmas to look at. It gives a little bit more texture to his character and to hers. Um, and, you know, yes, in retrospect, you can look back and go, OK, she's clearly a sex-positive person. Maybe that's how, you know, maybe she jumps into relationships very fast. But that still doesn't mean that the first film was right to do what it did. It still mm. doesn't mean that it's a, it is a film still mm. and it, and even if the character is now more developed and that seems more in line with the most positive possible reading of her character that's not what we what they gave us first time around they did not set her up as a character they set her up as a prize would you have completely cut that out would you have recommended they go a different direction with that thing and and has it ruined the movie for you because i've seen a lot of people who say who've been on twitter and they said that that you know you know screw the movie it's, uh, that shot's egregious the act is egregious and it's ruined the movie for me but what's interesting Terry is that you said you have a re- uh, you have a real problem with that, that uh, act and that shot but you like the rest of the film which is why I wanted to start with it I wanted to get mm. that shot out of the way so we can talk about the rest of the film and it doesn't define the film for me that's the thing and I don't believe that's how it works I don't think one what I would see as a misjudgement um, or a, a decision that I don't fundamentally agree with as as an audience member. I don't see that as negating everything else that's brilliant about the film. I think, you know, we've talked about this. I thought I think that opening set piece of the film is one of the most exciting mm. um, 20 minutes I've seen in, in cinema this year. I think the action sequences are amazing. I think the editing is amazing. I think the camera work is fantastic. Like, there's so much I loved about this film, and I don't think that one kind of thing pivots my entire view of the film at all. Mm. Well, it did in the first film, but it did last time, less this time mm. for me. Um, I actually had... I was tripped up a little bit more by the, I thought, unnecessary killing of, uh, of Lancelot, of Roxy, mm-hmm. um, because... Here's how all these films go. There's one woman on the team, right? But we need strong female characters. So she's a strong female character. But she doesn't she isn't allowed to do anything pivotal. And it's and it's so we that was the situation in the first one. She's a strong female character. She's established as the head of the Kingsman class, the the top graduate of the program. Mm-hmm. She, you know, keeps doing better than everybody else, but she's kind of a sideshow to the main showdown at the end. Um, and in this one, they knock her out immediately. Uh-huh. And the one woman on the other team, the statesman, is the one chained to the desk. Um, and she's not even given much that's independent to do because she's always working with Merlin. Right. So you're a bit like, this shit again? Mm. I mean, and mm. that actually annoyed me more from a... I can understand that. Someone just actually being so fucking but at, the same, at the same time, it's not her story. I mean, it's Eggsy's story. Right, and but that's it's the, always Eggsy's story. Well, yeah, because he's the person we've been following from the off. And yeah. We, it, and but this his, is, his story going from the streets to super, super spy is more interesting than someone going from Oxbridge or wherever Roxy's from to super spy. But, the, but there's been a choice. There's always been a choice to tell that story. It's always the choice to tell the man's story. That's my point. Um, it's a choice to make her the Oxbridge super spy. It's a choice mm. not to also mm. make her a kid from the street. It's 
always about a choice. And there is no reason why you need to kill her off in this one particularly. Why not have her survive instead of Merlin? There's no reason why the statesmen shouldn't have more than one woman in them. It's always a choice. And the choice keeps being to have one woman per team of men. Well, you're not alone in saying that. There's a few people who've written in and, and lamented the loss of Roxy. Uh, as Matthew Fong points out, we don't see a body. I've got a sneaky suspicion he might want to try and bring her back for, for part three. But uh, his explanation was, for many reasons, in case you didn't listen to the, the, uh, the Matthew Fong interview, um, or in case, I, in case I got cut it out for whatever reason, um, uh, she was killed for a number of reasons. So that there, were, there was a loss, there were stakes early on. Um, uh, and there were too many characters. And the whole Halle Berry... Uh, ginger ale thing yes it's regrettable I think but there was a whole lot more that she had to do that was cut out of the film um, but I think otherwise this movie would have been four hours long which is yeah I did I, mean, I found her I just felt like she had so little to do mm. yeah. and I kept waiting for her moment yeah. where you discovered more yeah. about her you discovered more about her backstory they were there were little kind of breadcrumbs dropped that I got I started to get really excited about and I found it really disappointing that they didn't because if my memory is deceiving me it probably is uh, the very first look we got at Empire mm. at uh, Ginger Ale was a shot of Halle Berry, I think, with a gun. Yes, mm. yes. And she doesn't get to wield a gun in this. And there's this, there's a uh, a scene in one of the TV spots where you see her alongside Merlin, and uh, he has a clipboard, and there's a knife that comes out of the clipboard. So clearly they're comparing their gadgets and. Um, you know, because there's a whole there was a whole love story between Merlin and Ginger. There's when still was, there's still traces of that, which I like. Yeah, there's traces of that. But whenever I was on set, the day I was on set was Merlin's death. So it was the which was unfortunate change in their part. Yeah, but seriously. There you go. It was like, hello guys, I'm here and I'm ready to write about Kingsman: The Golden Circle. I will write about whatever you tell me is going on. I'm sure there won't be spoilerific. Oh, what do you mean? It's the third act and a major character's dead. Okay. <laughs> Great! <laughs> this is awesome. Um, and so it was his death scene. It was a whole the whole moment when he was saying goodbye to Eggsy and to Harry, and he goes, "Give my love to Ginger." And Harry goes, mm. "Yeah, of course, of course, I will." And there was a whole there was a whole uh, thread there as well. And I would have liked to have seen that. I would like to have seen mm. more because, again, as Fawn uh, admitted uh, in the interview, the fact that they you know Channing they had, they had Channing Tatum for two weeks. And it wasn't that they tailored the role specifically to fit the fact that he only had it for two weeks, yeah. but still, he only had it for two weeks. No, so I mean, you can tell. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Bridges, they had for three days. Yeah, you can tell. Halle Berry, they had for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And clearly, they shot a lot more with mm. that character. And there's a lot more, I think, that character might be able to do in a Kingsman three or any other thing going it, forward it just feels like storm all over again doesn't it oh. you know Poor get Halle, Halle Berry in your film and then she should play teacup screw it up that doesn't work that doesn't work doesn't work but you don't you know, put ginger ale in it never mind ginger ale in a teacup yeah right. well, well we'll get there in it but yes the Roxy thing is, is really interesting you're not you're not the only person to, to raise that it was interesting and you know what are your thoughts on, on that well because well? what I loved about her in the first one is just she as a character in her own right but also what she gave to Eggsy as well and I was genuinely shocked when they when they killed when you saw it coming and you realised probably about the same time as she, as she did in the film what was about to happen that was the other moment in which my gob fell wide open and it I did feel her loss throughout the movie and, and the kind of extra texture and dimension that I felt she gave Eggsy as a character so um, so I was genuinely gutted and, and, and mm. then the fact that she wasn't really replaced in terms of there being another counterpoint there's you know there's, there's the girlfriend and then Halle Berry who's basically underused or doesn't get to kind of show exactly mm. what she can do um, 
so yeah, it just lost a bit of dimension for me when when she went. But I'm excited that she may come back for a third. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone really truly dies in in, well, in a Kingsman movie. Apparently not. Yeah, thanks to Alpha Gel, <laughs> we can bring that stuff back. Um, I think it's really interesting that. Um, and again, I have the benefit of having <laughs> done the, the Matthew Vaughan interview, but that Merlin was going to come back in this movie, that they actually had shot sequences where Merlin came back after being blown to smithereens and he, his legs been blown off and he, he comes back and he's at, the, he's at the wedding at the end of the movie. Mm. I thought that was really, really huh. interesting. And then they had to digitally replace him when they ultimately made this, the decision to kill him. Um, but I kind of feel like you do need things like that to happen. And I know that Roxy, I think Roxy maybe died a little bit too soon, especially since they were setting up what I thought was an interesting, possible love triangle thing going on with, you know, am I your best friend or best agent? And he goes both. And, you know, I always thought those two had an attraction to each other in the first movie, which maybe that's just me reading too much into it. But uh, I thought there was something there. Um but I think you do need in a in a movie where people are being shot in the head and then coming back mere minutes later, you do need death and you do need stakes and you do need Arthur dying and JB the dog dying and Roxy dying and even Merlin dying and not coming back. I think that's actually important. I I don't disagree that you need some death. Mm. But you need you, it to stick right? <laughs> because <laughs> you do need it to stick because as you say it takes yeah. away motivation it it yeah. takes away a yeah. lot of kind of narrative drive if it's like actually he's not that sad he's dead or she's dead because you know they're going to come back and I think I expected because so much happened um it was hard to feel like um Roxy's death had real consequences you know in terms of actually him having lost everything because everybody everybody dies in such quick succession and then he has to go and then he loses his girlfriend and then he puts a tracking device inside a woman's vagina and you're kind of like <laughs> I don't know what I'm meant to be feeling sad or happy or excited or lamenting about right now I think it's about an hour between those things happening <laughs> but, but you know what I mean in a you normally you normally have a big motive if somebody if yeah. a core character like that dies early on it is your main driving narrative force which seeks you to do certain things yes, right yes um yeah the main thing i thought about was you know it's, it's, it's a triple whammy isn't it it's like oh my god they've killed his best friend oh my god they've killed all the other kingsmen oh yeah. my god they've killed the dog the dog they've killed the dog. dog what's going on with that um and then he goes he gets back in his uh, lovely orange tuxedo uh which is going to be lee hot fashion item of 2017 2018 let me tell you sure uh, and he gets back to the kingsman store uh which has been cordoned off obviously because it's been a big explosion but I thought there might have been more cops knocking around because there's been a pretty major explosion in the middle of London. I would have thought there might have been more. Maybe he was there looking for too much later. realism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe a little, little, little tad yeah. too much. Like yeah. a couple of days too. But why, is he, why, why hasn't he changed? Um, maybe he's been spending all his time on relief efforts. You know, you see people. All right. Uh, Logan Logie Bear 98 asks did it bother you how the film tried to be as edgy as the first one lat Glastonbury scene what Glastonbury scene have we, no. have we talked about that never talked no. about that whilst trying to backpedal its most controversial joke from the first one with Eggsy being in love with the princess I, I, I honestly I, I genuinely didn't mind their relationship I thought that was actually new and fresh and I, I think I maybe disagree with you slightly, Terry, in the fact that I quite enjoyed the idea of a, a spy asking his girlfriend for a hall pass. Like, I th- mm. the, the circumstances aside, but the <laughs> the actual conversation I actually thought was really was kind of sweet and funny, and I thought that was kind of a good idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I still this, the first one still just irritates the hell out of me. It just yeah, can't be having with it. 
We're not going to have that argument again. No. Nope. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, Serial Rob asks, do you think that the reason for Agent Whiskey's double cross felt wrong? I can see him wanting to get revenge for the death of his wife and child, but also making the company more money. It felt tacked on. Yeah, that, that yeah. totally didn't work. I agree. Which one, the uh, the wife and child or the money? No, the the, the the money didn't ring true at all. If the wife and child would have seemed consistent, sensible, but not the money. Uh, other thoughts: Bruce Greenwood really needed a Trump wig. <laughs> that would be disrespectful of Bruce Greenwood. I yeah. feel. Didn't yeah. you think there were moments where I was like, he's more sane than the POTUS. He's more yeah. sane than the current president. <laughs> he maybe needs to... It was really funny because there obviously there's moments of real parody and having it up in this. And, it, and I was like, I don't think that's possible. He seems like really quite normal compared but to what you see Trump actually doing. Isn't do. this the problem with fiction as a whole at the moment? Yes. Whether it be House of Cards or yep. rewatching 24 where President Logan seems perfectly sane at this yeah. point. Where... Reality has gone so far beyond the power that even the most extreme parody, such as this, just seems perfectly everyday. Yeah, he's, he seems, like, far preferable. Yeah. It's, it's insane that we live in I mean, this world. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, he's a good guy. He's not. Yeah, no. But, but on a scale of one to ten, he's not starting nuclear war. Yeah. But it's funny, he says something about let all the losers die or something, and you know you can kind of... You're <laughs> yeah. like, I think I heard that the other day yeah. on, like, Fox News. Well, that was definitely a reference, I assume, yeah. but, you know, yeah. otherwise he seemed vaguely sane. Mm. Um, can I just... Uh, Mentioned so the runtime of this film is yeah. 141 minutes, yeah. which is an extraordinary amount of time for a film of this kind. And I do wonder whether, if they had literally cut out 40 minutes, whether it would be a much I think it would have been it. incoherent. Well, possibly, Quite but I think frankly. you could have lost some threads and streamlined it. I'm not saying you know, just literally chop with what you've got, but. That's a long time. I mean, it felt long watching it, yeah, but it actually, did. even I didn't realise it was quite that long. Can I just say, I'm the, I think I'm the only person who didn't have a problem with the runtime at all. Um, or did mean uh, our daily departed Phil DeSemelin alumnum um, <laughs> had a conversation about this because he said, oh, I could, you know, maybe it should have been 20 minutes shorter. And I went, no! I loved every minute apart, from, apart from the minute you didn't apart from the minute. six seconds I hated I, do you know what I didn't I've seen it twice and mm-hmm. neither time did it feel long to me and I'm very sensitive to run times yeah. and I, I and I don't see an obvious place to chop out to chop out whole subplots or to chop out any particular threads I don't see easy cuts there to well, we could have killed the whole well, well Poppy's it, entire subplot and oh, completely got rid of it <laughs> You uh, could have you could have cut out Harry's amnesia. You could have just whoa. mentioned he's having I some. That. It was you, so beautiful. The butterflies. The butterflies were cute. Oh but, my god! That whole dark. That was that. dark, man. That was some dark inner psychological shit that I totally <laughs> dug. Wow. <laughs> what are you seeing right now? You seeing butterflies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always see butterflies when I look um, at you, Chris. Oh, thanks, Terry. Uh, in terms of, are they just moths? <laughs> yeah, they're dead. They're but you know, they're day glow dead moths. Um, in terms of the running time, Jimbo, I mean, it is shorter than Captain America Civil War. It is shorter than Transformers of Last Night. It is shorter <laughs> well, than Spectre. The same price, I, yeah. think, I think that the new newness for blockbusters is a two and a half hour running time. Well, hang um, on. I think hang on. comedy Sorry, doesn't just, stretch quite as well. Just before we go on, 
two of those are not good. <laughs> yeah, and too long. No, true, but I'm saying that you know, it is shorter than recent movies. Yeah. And no, I see uh, as, as far as a bloated sequel goes, hey, look. it's not as bloated as some other sequels. I've watched the three Lord of the Rings extended editions pretty much back to back. I have no problem with run yes. times when the material kind of yes. suits yeah. it. I, I, think, I, I honestly think that you could lose 10, 15 minutes from this. Or more. No, I don't think you could lose any more. That brings it down to two hours, a solid two hours, and then you're then you're fine. Include, not including credits. I, yeah. I haven't stayed through the credits. I don't I, know whether there's a, there's a push. I just think thing, there's something so. to be said when when you're watching a comedy. There's something for said to be for a, a tight ninety minute comedy. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. But I, they'd say it's not a pure comedy. Well, yes, yeah. that is Which certainly is true. That is certainly true. That is certainly true. Which uh, and and from an action point of view, just kind of segueing into that since you brought mm. it up. I found that quite uneven. Like, I loved the action se- sequence at the beginning. I love mm-hmm. what they do. And I don't know how they do it. And presumably it's some kind of, I assume, witchcraft rather than CGI, yeah. where it looks like it's one single, single camera action sequence yeah, with a camera. Yeah. It's just incredible the way that's stitched together. I mean, it's incredibly slick and well-directed. And you've got those, and uh, the uh, the lasso fight sequences are fantastic as well. And then they counterpointed to me with the cable car sequence, which felt really sort of leaden and dull and sort of badly conceived. And I, I found that slightly odd. Mm. To, to it, hit such high points and then to just... Mm. It felt very much like a, a, like a Bond yeah. parody slash yeah, homage at that point. So. Like to, but to the point of taking you out of the film. It's mm. like, oh, they're doing a Bond bit. Okay, I see what's happening here. And it just... it, it uh, You know, and maybe there is no way to do a cable car slash snowy mountain sequence <laughs> without it feeling Bond. <laughs> because quite frankly, even in something like Inception, it feels Bond, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe nobody else can do that. Mm. I don't know. but But certainly this one felt... Yeah, it was the weakest sequence in the movie. By and it was spinning by around, yeah, and they were kind of could stuck you've cut to the that? edge. If you're if you're looking for stuff to cut, could oh, you've cut definitely. that? It's expensive. It's probably the most expensive sequence in the, in the movie. I would say, mm. I'm getting you know because I, I I imagine ain't cheap to come up that level of CG. But yeah. I would definitely cut you that. Yeah. Also, because that raises the other action sequences once you do. Because yeah. do they could have gone, couldn't they? They could have just gone. Jack and um, Eggsy could have just gone from uh, betraying Charlie with the with the antidote. And then rocked up at the cabin with the mm. with the serum. Mm, Although yeah. Jack does appear later on, so maybe they couldn't have done. Maybe there was a logistical problem that meant they couldn't really cut around it. But uh, I thought it was pretty fun-ish, you know, with the um, the old guys. You know, that's the best shit I ever had, or whatever oh, whatever he says. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, what else could you really have cut? But in terms of the action stuff, it's really interesting because. I love the first film. I really, really love the first film. I thought the first film really pushed the envelope in, in really interesting ways. And I love directors who bring me things I've never seen in the big screen before. And I hadn't seen anything like the church scene before. Mm, the church scene, and you know, it's a really interesting scene. Um, polarizes people as well. Though, it polarizes it? people as well. Absolutely. I, I'm a little bit surprised, actually, the church scene didn't attract as much controversy as I thought it was going to. Because basically what you have is Colin Firth, Britain's sweetheart, uh, Mr. Darcy. Waste. Yeah. Mr. Darcy himself laying waste to a hundred people, and you know, in in theory, they're innocent. I mean, it's it's pretty much established beforehand that they are the worst kind of horrible, right wing, racist, nasty, homophobic Westboro Baptist Church mfers. Um, but still, it's still a slaughter, and it's. I think it's really interesting. Um, Conceit to have your hero, yeah, take part in that. And but of course, he didn't do it. He didn't do it willingly, willingly, of course. So that sort of undermines that, I think, a little bit. Yeah. I, I also think that that sequence, um, in comparison to to this film, so Jane Goldman uh, said that that sequence was 
kind of uh, a little bit outside their sensibility. She felt this film and the level of violence in this film is a bit more her and Matthew's kind of natural level of sensibility. Mm. Um, and that the the first film was kind of went to a level that she at least, speaking, I assume for herself, was, was slightly uncomfortable with or sort of thought was slightly, you know, too much. Less cartoonish, in other words, because the fans yeah. in this movie is very cartoonish. Yeah, and I, th- I think she felt that much more comfortable with this and felt it was much more representative of her. And she she did say Matthew as well. She felt it was like much more their yeah. shared sensibility. Um, so maybe that was that was very deliberate. Maybe it was, mm. you know, meant to be a um, a slightly you know a, a step down from that level of yeah. bloodbath. I agree because it, I think if you if you look at this film, all the fights are very very cartoonish. All of them are very very over the top. And I think that that Fawn has made uh, a he he's made a decision that either he doesn't want to try and top the church scene or he doesn't think he can within the context of of this movie. And so everything else feels a little different and the style the style of the action scenes are slightly different from the church scene. But if you look at it the the, the final showdown where Harry and Eggsy are are laying waste to Poppyland it's really cartoonish. You got mm-hmm. robot dogs, you got people being mm-hmm. killed with giant scissors, you know, you have uh, even at the very very beginning, you have Keith Allen being turned into a hamburger. I mean, it, it it's not a movie that that flirts with reality. <laughs> I think at no. any point, which is uh, which I think is really interesting. But let's talk about some of the characters and some of the character stuff. Eggsy, first of all, I think Taron Egerton's fantastic. And yeah, he can pretty much do anything. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with Elton John, playing Elton John, um, uh, in Rocket Man. But uh, what do we make of Eggsy's journey? Do you think it was as clearly defined? For example, as the journey of the first movie, where he was very clearly that guy of the wrong side of the street, uh, who grows up to become the, the gentleman spy. It's a different thing, isn't it? The first one's the whole sort of Pygmalion fish out of water thing, and that gets transferred a little bit onto Tildy in this. That kind of scratches that itch, I guess. His journey in this, it feels more like it's a kind of a redemption thing, and it's a, it's a father son thing, and it's an emotional journey thing. I don't think it's as clearly defined as the first one. I think it's different. It's not as clear cut. But I did enjoy it. And I think he's very, very charismatic. He's very likeable. I think that carries a long way. I think if you had someone else in that role, this film would not hold together nearly as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think he's utterly charming. Utterly charming. And you're right, the the arc wasn't, as you say, as, as clearly defined in his journey. Um, the the father-son dynamic with Harry is it for me, really. The kind of the love between those characters and the grief and the loss that kind of drives him in the first act is... He's so good, isn't he? He's, when he cracked... When, um, when there's that oh moment God, yeah. um, when she's sat at the dinner table and he has to turn away from her when he gets the tear. And that, honestly, mm. that really... He, he, he goes from really making me laugh to just really moving me in a split second. Yeah. yeah. Um, that boy can act with his face like... <laughs> <laughs> and he uses words as well, Terry. Did you, oh, have, my have you God. seen that? <laughs> Amazing, uh, yeah. No, he's really good in that moment, actually. And um, what, what, what's surprising about that is how much impact I think the Harry Eggsy relationship has, uh, given that they really didn't have that many scenes together in yeah. the first movie. Mm. I think I think people remember that they had more to together together than they than they did, because um, Harry obviously exits stage left, pursued by bullet, <laughs> um, and then Eggsy takes over from that point on. Uh, I think maybe they have three major scenes together. But I really love that. And that there's a slight inversion, I think, of that that sort of mentor mentee mm, is that a word yeah. uh, relationship with 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 uh, Eggsy trying to bring Harry back to the land of the living, um, which I really really liked, and I liked that he did it via the medium of a dog, <laughs> as well. Um, what do we make of Colin Firth in this one? I mean, he's great. He's I, I, you can't really go wrong with Colin Firth, can you? 
And and I think, you know, while I say that you could get rid of the amnesia subplot, it, it is a good, I'm not saying it's not a good subplot, I'm just saying it's not essential to the main thing, but it is really well played by him. It's really heartbreaking that he wanted a different life and then never got it and that clearly part of his mind goes back to that yeah. instead of... Oh my God, you know, there's a bit, because you're talking about emotion in these movies and these are really cartoonish, over-the-top movies. And and yet I felt a connection to these characters that... that Surprised me a little bit in this one. One of them was the, the moment Terry talked about, where Eggsy, uh, you know, breaks down a little bit. Hmm. And the second one was the thing you're talking about when Harry starts going. He says, he says at one point, he goes, "I want to go home to mother," and that just that was a whoa. And suddenly you realize this guy, the super spy, who's in his fifties, but he, now he thinks he's like in his in his late twenties or whatever. Yeah, he had a mum. He had a family. He had a life beyond beyond this, beyond being a spy, beyond you know going to rock concerts and doing unspeakable things, uh, you know. And <laughs> see, I, I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by the hint of an of an outer life. Now I want to see a movie about a super spy and his mum, where the mum is not her, <laughs> where the mum is not a super spy herself. It's a stop yeah. or my mum will shoot. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like that was just a policeman. Like I feel like we can do better. I thought the characterization job done by the the whole bit where he you know had no memory. I just thought that was fantastic, and I just him kind of playing that gave so much extra context and um, nuance. And I just lo- I loved that whole bit. That's why I was like, you can't lose that bit. Cause mm. I just think mm. it adds so much to Harry. My only problem with that, all of that was you never for a second doubt that he's right about whiskey. Like, never for a second. Like, yes. I don't care how many, you know, wobbles he's having and how many mm. butterflies he's seeing. If he thinks he's wrong, and, and especially if he shoots him in the head, like, <laughs> yes. like if, if Taron had stopped him shooting, Eggsy had stopped him shooting, you would have been like, okay, you know, he might be wrong. Once he shot him, you're like, well, he's 100% right. There's no way it's going to turn out that he was wrong about that. I had an issue with that sequence and it was this it wasn't him it was that we already knew he was a baddie before Firth even brings up because there's that really sort of portentous shot where he's kind of covetously eyeing the ceremony ass said he'd hand it to him yep. and at that point you're like you're a villain yeah. and it's like yeah. you could have done without that and then you have Firth introduce that concept and then maybe there is some ambiguity but since you already know when he brings it up it just confirms what you think already yeah really yeah. So that, that. I think that's the strength of Harry I think that's because you don't, you're right, for a, you never for a second think, oh, well, he might be wrong. And I think that's because the certainty around that character is mm. yeah. Also, but Mr. Darcy wouldn't lie to us. <laughs> not. <laughs> I was just visiting Pemberley this weekend. It was very nice. Um, I, I also <laughs> loved the uh, the scene on the plane when they're flying towards Poppyland and Harry and Eggsy have that heart-to-heart and Harry talks about regret mm. and having never had anyone in his life. Mm. Um, and Vaughn has said that if there is a Kingsman 3, we'll form a part, a, a part of that you know, of, of, of what drives Harry and I, I you know I'm beginning to wonder actually whether Kingsman 3 might throw us a bit of a curveball mm. and I, I literally do not know I haven't talked to, to Matthew about this at, at any point but I wonder if Harry might in some way be revealed as the bad guy ultimately of Kingsman 3 I don't <gasps> oh, know no. I don't I just don't know I just get that feeling I I but it's like it's the super, probably, I'm probably massively wrong. That's the superhero model, isn't it? You know, yeah. first film mm-hmm. hero, second film gives it up, or in this case, you know, suffers memory loss, and third film goes yeah. bad. Like, I no genuinely, genuinely hope I'm wrong, pass. but I just, I don't know. There was something to be talking about regrets and things that he hadn't done in his life, and I don't know. And there was also that that moment at the end where he has the voiceover, which yeah, which kind of almost ends the film, and you're kind of, well, why are you giving that voiceover to Harry? 
Now, if you've listened to the interview with Matthew Vaughan, you'll know that he doesn't really know the answer to that either. So, <laughs> But um, I, I'm just wondering if he is subconsciously setting up the audience for a bit of a turn. In the same way, I actually genuinely think, and this could be utter bullshit, but I think if you go back and look at the first Kingsman, uh, I don't think you ever see a close-up of Colin Firth being shot in the head. I think it's all done... It's all done in a very, very quick cut with uh, with with Sam Jackson shooting him. And then it's a wide shot of the mm-hmm. body. And I think he almost did that on a subconscious level to maybe pave the way for, for bringing him back. Fire Alpha yeah. Gel! <laughs> Alpha Gel. One. Well, you yeah. know that scene, the scene, <laughs> the scene on the plane, I just, I, what I loved about it was, and I think this is why it was really important that they ended with um exit getting married was he spoke really movingly about the isolation of essentially being a kingsman mm. yeah. and the loneliness and the sacrifice that goes along with that and i normally hate a happy ending right i'm like oh <laughs> this is awful but i loved it because it was like it was really important for and if exit did go on a journey it was realizing the importance of love and and getting married and having something other than being a kingsman because ultimately there is so much sacrifice and you can end up Mm. living with regret and living with loneliness haven't we kind of had that in oh, Mission really Impossible sad. in recent years <laughs> we have mm. and that, but that ended and in a slightly, in a way in yeah a way. but he keeps Reacher? he keeps having people being killed and you know doesn't he or, or one person one person yeah. but uh, Ethan Hunt's a bit of a different kettle of fish isn't he because he chooses to walk away from his marriage or he chooses to hide it at least well because we, we know that there's been yeah they've been living together in between films but at the end of four he, I think it's very clear that he's walking away from Julia he's going to be, always be a presence in her life he's always going to be watching over her but in but you five, remember you remember the whole backstory to Jeremy uh, Jeremy Renner's character in five no is that he was assigned to watch them both oh in four in four sorry whichever yeah. Yeah. yes of course but I think at the end of four he's saying goodbye to her at the hospital in Seattle so when she when he, she comes out at the end Michelle Monaghan comes out at the end for mm. her little cameo and she looks up and she's got a feeling that her creepy husband's around somewhere <laughs> jumping over things probably and uh, I think that's Ethan saying okay I'm walking away from you which is why he feels so open to flirt outrageously with Rebecca Ferguson in, <laughs> in uh, Rogue Nation um, but can we talk also about the scene I was in set for that I can finally talk about now the death of Merlin um which I, I honestly, again, I found very moving and gave mm. Mark Strong a hell of a send-off. Mm. I don't like films that kill Mark Strong when he's being a good guy. <laughs> no, that's most really, of them, right? Don't really approve. It well, was... yeah, but he's sometimes a bad guy and that's kind of okay, but yeah. like this was not, not okay. John Denver is having a year, isn't he? Oh. Yeah. What's I, up with he must John be over, Denver? He must be overjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> he must be so happy. But, like... I don't understand. Like, I'm genuinely confused. Why is this our cultural touchstone for every major film this summer? I don't know. I think there's something genuinely in the water, isn't there? But, um, in fact, that's the very question I have right here from Sam Kai on Twitter. With Merlin's love of John Denver, does this make Kingsman officially a part of the 2017 John Denver Cinematic Universe with Logan Lucky, Free Fire, Okja, Alien Covenant? Three of those movies all use the same song as well. Uh, take me home, country roads. So, what do we think is the best use? Of that, <laughs> song? that 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 sequence that I won't say it quite made me tear up, but it did a little bit. But I wonder whether it was the sequence in itself, which is lovely, or whether it just made me recall the sequence in Logan Lucky, which genuinely did make me tear up. Mm. But it, I really? mean, it was a, yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a lovely moment though, wasn't it? Where he sings it, and it's just, it, yeah, I, I think he earned a brilliant death, and I'm glad that uh, explosive proof underwear did not save him from it. <laughs> 
What do you think, Terry? None of them are as good as Hurt by Johnny Cash in Logan. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I've gone Fair. almost a full hour without mentioning Logan, so therefore... We have to be very careful talking about Logan on these spoiler specials since I, uh, I gave something away about Logan on the Planet of the Apes uh, no. spoiler special and people got very angry with me, so... I'm not going to go there. But no. we will mention that Logan is very good. Yes. <laughs> and yes. you should go and see it. And there is a great use of Johnny Cash in the trailer. So that's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler, no. No. Merlin's death then. What did we think of that? <laughs> Helen. I just, I was disappointed that he couldn't figure out a way around it. And I know we're actually going for emotion and stuff. But <laughs> come on. You're Mr. Gadget Man. Be strong, Helen. I, I, but, you know, I know, I get that the, you know... The problem with landmines is that they're entirely designed to maim and kill people and they're very simple ways of doing that and that's why they're a pernicious and an awful influence on the world we live in today. But this is Kingsman. It's a ridiculous film where people wear orange tuxedos and they can absolutely defuse a landmine while standing on it. So I was a little <laughs> bit disappointed, that's all. Do you want to come back? you want more Merlin? Of course. Yeah. Have you seen Mark Strong? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, very good Scottish accent, Mark Strong. Mm. Yeah, it would have been interesting had uh, Merlin been Welsh as originally intended. Uh, here's a question from Follow Follow: uh, Has there been a recent film so profligate in wasting multiple Academy Award winners? Uh, why cast so well and underutilize all of them? Um, a legitimate grievance. There are five Academy Award winners in this film. Mm-hmm. Name them: Julianne Moore, <laughs> Colin Firth, Halle Berry. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, thank you. <laughs> and uh, Sir Reg Dwight. Yes. Elton John himself. And Well, it didn't waste Elton John. It didn't no, waste Elton it John. did not throw away its shot. No, Let's take not. Colin Firth and put him... because We'll talk about it in a second, actually, because I, I wanted to ask you uh, whether you felt that the right moment of, of introducing Harry, whether uh, Vaughn had chosen the right time to introduce Harry, had you forgotten he was back in this film? And indeed, do you think that... I think Fawn, in an ideal world, would have had people going into this movie with absolutely no idea that Colin Firth is back in the film. Uh, do, do you think it was the right time? Do you think he should have been in the movie earlier? Would you have liked to have gone in not knowing he was in the film? I would, and I do. I, I saw Matthew saying that essentially, you know, he was he regretted that that had been revealed ahead of time, and I kind of agree with him. I think that kind of being that as I as I watched it for the first time, that being a piece of knowledge I had certainly informed how I viewed the film. Mm. I don't I don't actually it didn't bother me the point he actually appeared in, but it would have been I think it was a really important reveal or would have been a really important reveal. Um because again the stakes change. So so you know they all get wiped out but if you know that essentially Harry comes back then this it the the stakes that Exe is kind of um up against and what he's fighting for and what he's lost suddenly uh have a slightly different perspective, as does his grief. You know, because there's grief that you know is about to end um, isn't isn't as powerful, obviously. So it took for me a little bit of the okay. yeah, power yeah. out of those scenes by knowing that he was. As soon as I saw a mirror behind um, Channing Tatum, I, f- I figured it was a two way mirror. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. maybe I, sh- I shouldn't I'm have, and I could have been about wrong. But like, I just you're a it, lawyer. Mm. Maybe <laughs> lawyers do see yeah, two way mirrors everywhere. Things. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just I. I I guess I, it didn't feel like it was a spoiler. It didn't uh-huh. feel like, you know, I was sort of, um, I enjoyed it less as a result of that. I, I, I felt like, he, I figured he'd be back. I figured, you know, but I, it probably would have been ideal not to have anything out there about it. But I mean, surely didn't Matthew Vaughn not have any say in that? He must have. Well, there's, there's. He there's... must have embraced it. 
I'm pretty sure there were pop shots of Colin it's, Firth it's on set. It's difficult to keep that sort of stuff, isn't it? I think yeah. you kind of have to... And it's difficult with films. I think from a narrative point of view, it was the right time to introduce him, unfortunately. Marketing. Yeah. You know what I mean? This yeah. stuff always gets out there. That said, I had forgotten that he was in it. I think I'd got so sucked into the film that I had genuine... And it had taken a while... Yeah. Like if you'd come in earlier on, it's you'd about an hour, I think. It was about an hour in. By that point, I genuinely, I wasn't waiting for him. I had forgotten that he yeah. was going to be in it. So suddenly it was like, oh, oh yeah, of course it's Colin. Yeah. Um, hurrah. And he, hurrah. Gets a, and he gets a lot to do. He's fine. He's mm. well served by the yes. material. Uh, so then we have Channing Tatum, two-week Tatum, uh, coming in as yeah. Agent Tequila. Um, and then Halle Berry, obviously we've talked about her and, and how she had a lot cut out and it does show. Now, yeah. Tatum, I felt, was weirdly the most jarring in terms of having a big name in and doing nothing with them yes. but as you said it's almost like a setup for a statesman film isn't it as opposed to like it felt like an extended trailer for that because he was completely extraneous to this yeah. one yeah i mean he has that one great sequence where he first meets them in the in the kind of the, the distillery but yeah. other than that i mean meets them beats them yeah greets them tries to burn <laughs> them and yeah. then your average has a sort of drug thing funny dance montage Dan- yeah dances around and then gets put on ice Literally. Quite literally put on ice. Um, yeah, I would which have... is weird because you don't have tequila with ice, do you? I mean, I'm not a drinker, <laughs> but I believe that to be the case. Wow. <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I do feel that they were they were largely there to set up whatever happens in Kingsman Three, and if there's going to be a, a solo movie, who knows? But yeah, I, I do often feel that if you're going to do that, then you need to nail it as well in this movie and I think everyone was fine they were okay I think Halle Berry's undeserved I think everyone involved with the movie recognises that mm-hmm. as well um, I think Pedro Pascal is really really good yeah. as Whiskey but he's not Oscar winner is he uh, so that brings us on to the other two Oscar, well, other three Oscar winners Jeff Bridges Three Day Bridges comes in does what he needs to do basically what Michael Caine did in the first movie yeah only without turning out to be evil <gasps> and um, spoiler for the first movie <laughs> and uh and then we have Julianne Moore as Poppy. Now, I kind of feel that she actually did have a, 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 a strong act to follow, a tough act to follow, actually, in Sam Jackson in the first movie, who was a really distinctive, memorable bad guy. Mm. Um, what I, do we make I would have Poppy? liked to see her move a bit more. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I get that the idea was, I, I, I assume, that by putting her in one place and having everyone come to her, that she, that shows how powerful she is. But there was no real sense there of the manager of a global drug empire. She is supposed to control all drugs everywhere in the world. <laughs> she doesn't even have a computer on her desk most of the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's. I think you needed a little bit more of a sense of her as the head of a major thing, even if that thing is underground. Yeah, because like... Bond bad guys always Bond have bad guys, yeah. Huge number of, have, of yeah. minions. She needed more minions. And I get the yeah. whole, you know, robot thing as well. But there were only three robots... That's not enough robots to do all of this. Robot More beauticians. robots. <laughs> Two robot dogs. Yeah. And a mad love of Elton John as well. I really, I thought she was very, very funny. I yeah. liked her a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I do feel it was a shame. And I don't know whether they tried to crack it in the, in the structure in the script or not. But, you know, you have these incredible actors and you have, you have this, this interesting quirk in the plot where Kingsman's being taken out by someone that they don't even know exists. Yeah. at the very very beginning they have no idea that this who is this poppy and they don't know what the hell has happened to them and they didn't engineer a situation where you know you have a scene between poppy and 
an Eggsy or a scene between Poppy and Harry or even a scene between Poppy and the Statesman because I, 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 I thought going into this film that some of the Statesmen would turn out to be in league with Poppy which is not what happened but I thought that's where we, we was going to go. Mm. So maybe Poppy and Jeff Bridges could have had a scene. Maybe you had Julianne Moore and Jeff Bridges and it just feels that a little shame that you have this incredible actress and then you do isolate her for the most of the film. Yeah, I think the isolation is, is kind of what bugs me. I just wanted more interaction and more sense of threat or power or connection with the real world. Mm. Because also, I mean, even the, the thugs, the, the people she's interviewing, they're, they look like low-level thugs, right? <laughs> yeah. She's recruiting, you know, henchmen, and she surely should be recruiting heads mm. of corporations to launder her money or, yeah. or something bigger and, and yeah. bolder and grander. You got that sense, didn't you, in the first movie, because Valentine was so well-known, he was such a global celebrity, that yeah. he was able to do that. And it, but I'm, I'm thinking back to, is that... I think it's a really interesting scene in the first Kingsman where Harry and Valentine meet and they have they eat the McDonald's and that's just a really interesting scene because the bad guy knows that the good guy is the good guy and is a spy and the spy knows that the bad guy is a bad guy and it's just a really interesting scene with conflict and the dynamics of that scene constantly shift and it was nothing like that I thought with Julianne Moore and, and Colin Firth in yeah. this one in particular and given their, their track record together as actors pretty good track record pretty good track record it would have been interesting to see if that, that had happened which brings us to Elton I mean he's flawless isn't he <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't we think though like a tad too much right so the first the first moment we saw Elton I honestly thought I was going to break a rib laughing and he was perfection in so many ways, but it was a little bit like the same gag. Yeah, yeah he's in it yeah. a lot for a little. Three cameo. times I was like, "No, stop!" stop yeah, it was stop a lot. Like that. Stop it! But then he wore that feathered outfit, and I kind <laughs> yeah. of forgave him a lot. Yeah, and they do they do up the ante like the gag sort of like evolves as it goes on. There's him. The kick is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you know the bit with the dogs is also funny. The uh, the bit when he uh, when <laughs> Elton he, John detected, you know, yes. yeah. The bit when he's in the last booth when they've demonstrated, and he's just telling him, "Fuck off, get out." Yeah. that's fucking funny as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I I I'd like to, I don't think he outstayed his welcome. I thought he was very funny, and the callback to the end of the first film again was a nice moment. Uh, yeah, backstage pass. Indeed, the mm. backstage pass. Uh, I have a lot of time for Elton John in this movie. Uh, very very cool indeed, uh, and I love that high kick. I love the fact he looks at the camera. <laughs> it just it tickles me immensely. Um, okay, so a couple of last questions and we'll wrap it up. So at Bleasy Boy asks, uh, do you prefer this to the first one and what is your favourite moment from the second? Yes, but I didn't like the first one very much. This is true. Um, and my favourite moment here was probably, oh, that opening car chase I thought was brilliant. Yeah, agree with the, I would, I would answer no and the opening car chase. <laughs> okay. Terry? Yes, and the opening car chase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, fuck. Okay, right. Um, no, I didn't prefer it the first one. The first one was had this really lovely element of surprise. Uh, and it, it, for me, it is still endlessly rewatchable. If it's, it's one of those movies, if it's on TV and you catch it on TV, I stick with it until the end. Ah, uh, like Sister Act. Like yeah. Sister Act. Like Sister Act? And Sister Act, <laughs> and Sister Act too. Back in the habit. Both. And you know what? Like Logan, Terry. You know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here with Logan. Yeah, but Chris, <laughs> I've only seen it 17 times. Do you ever do you ever flick on Logan? I beg your pardon. What? Do you ever... <laughs> Golly, that's personal. Do you, just, do, you, or do you just enjoy it like everyone else? <laughs> Moving on. Uh, and my favourite moment from this movie is probably Elton John high-kicking the henchman <laughs> or the death of Merlin. 
And so, you monster. No, it's it, your that, favorite. Not my favorite. It's not like the you know this. The, it's not gifable, but I just like it very much. It's uh, absolutely gifable. Scott Clark Eight asks: Is this franchise the Bond we wanted, rather than the more serious Bond films we now get? And I think he's actually nailed why I really like this franchise. <laughs> because, because Bond is no longer Bond, the Bond. is so fucking po-faced these days. And I really hope that with Bond 25, they can get back some of the, uh, if you will, the choix de vivre that uh, I think... Mon Dieu! That, uh, that the character I has really had. I really like po-faced Bond. Really? I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I miss, you know... We've got a po-faced Bond. His name's Jason Bourne. We, we don't need we another don't anymore. Oi, That's the point, oi, yeah. oi. You know. I won't have any drive-bys of Jason Bourne in here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I I admire a lot of Spectre, but I just, I want... I want Really? Yeah. The first yeah. hour of Spectre's really good. Well, I mean, you say really good. It's got that great opening tracking it shot. Is. And then, and then other things right. happen that <laughs> are also good. Many, many wonderful <laughs> things that we can't remember. There's a bit um, where he... There's a, there's a... I don't know. Anyway, there's a rat. But there, should be a, good. there should be a playfulness to Bond. There should. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think well, Bond very much informed what Bond became, didn't it? And now it is very po-faced. But I like it as a, as its own entity. I like it as a as a, as a post-born entity. But of I still have huge affection for the James old Bond. Like exactly, <laughs> I'm an enemy of fun. I loathe humour. Therefore, I love new Bond. I I am actually, and it pains me to say this, with James, um, <gasps> in that I prefer serious Bond to silly Bond generally. But I don't like Bond. Um, mm-hmm. And I prefer Jason Bond to all the Bonds. Jason, Jason Bond. Bourne. Oh God! Oh my God! He's my favourite Bond. <laughs> I prefer Jason Bourne to all the Bonds. So do I. Uh, and I also like Mission Impossible probably more than any Bond or well, Ethan Bond. Ethan Bond. <laughs> Ethan Bond and Jason Ethan Bond. Bond and Jason Bond are the best Bonds. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think Colin Firth's great in this movie as Harry Bond. I think it's uh, he is. He is great. <laughs> he's really yeah. good. Looking forward to talk about Kingsman 3 in a couple of years' time because uh, that is it for our Kingsman, the Golden Circle spoiler special. Uh, Our next spoiler special is likely to be Thor Ragnarok. Very, very exciting. exciting. I'm excited about that one. Thor stars. Thor stars. You've given four stars already. (laughs) Thor stars. Thor stars. Thor stars in it, yeah. You hulking great idiot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, very, very excited about Thor Ragnarok and we're hoping to get director Taika Waititi as well for that one, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, If you don't already listen to the regular podcast, we're out every Friday. If you could subscribe to that, that'd be great. If you could leave us lovely reviews on iTunes telling people how great we are, that would also be awesome. Uh, And do keep your ears peeled as well for spoiler specials and interview specials coming down the line over the next few months. Uh, Until our next regular podcast... It is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. Uh, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. It's goodbye from Terry White. Bon way. Bon way. Monge two. Monge two. <laughs> play a cool trick. Play a cool. Um, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to see if I can rock an orange tux. What do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> Your silence speaketh volumes. Manners maketh pot. Thanks for listening. Bye. 